Chat. What, what about this? Very good improvisation, uh, Joe. Um, welcome to one one more scuffed episode uh, of Tactical Crouch, where the adults are all gone. We have to make up our own intros on the spot, and uh, we really don't have an, a host. Um, I suppose this is a time where we ask the guest uh, how they're doing. <laughs> uh, how's it going, Christopher? That was far better than I was expecting. Actually, I must admit, I was that was that was a pretty good intro. Thank I'm doing you. good. How are you guys? Good. How are you? <laughs> pretty good. Like all things considered, oh. without without dads around, uh, it's mm. about as good as as we can expect. The kids have truly been left with the car keys. Now, of course, we also got to do some housekeeping. Um, our show is supported by Patreon. Um, and uh, I think the, the URL is at patreon.com slash tacticalcrouch. Probably also Googleable. Um, follow us on Twitter at tacticalcrouch. Uh, tweet us your questions and topics you'd like to discuss on the show. Sometimes we actually take some of those, or at least it will uh, <laughs> function as inspiration. Um, uh, show records live on uh, Wednesdays at, well... Right around this time, so right like, around this time, so, <laughs> so uh, nine p.m. Uh, CET, and that would be what? Like that's uh, noon. It's Three p.m. EST and noon PST. Very good, very good. Um, you can watch and listen anywhere where podcasts can, can be heard, as well as YouTube. Um, um, yeah, we actually renamed the channel uh, a while ago, right? Like, mm -hmm. um. So technical crouch is something you should also be able to Google. You will need a lot of help to find this episode. So, uh, <laughs> gonna be buried. It, it's going to be buried, but that just increases ju that just increases the the value of this episode. And that's exactly, why we can exactly. drop extra juice. Actually, I don't have any extra juice, but I also know that just one more Patreon producer has rene renamed, but I, for the life of me, cannot find the rename, so I apologize, Fraud, um, for your rename, because I can't remember it, and I'm not going to attempt to get them all right in one row, unless Joe wants to try. Oh, come on, give it here. Alright, ready? Yeah. Our show, I won't say news, because there's really not a ton of news, is brought to you by... <clears throat> Battle Crab Pin, Lulshin, Charlie L, Audio Compass, Porchup, Sammy, Kasha, CC7, Kuchi Kopi, Chara, Nathan, Your Misery, Hunter Train, Refined Bean, Rex Zane, Roger B, Fabled Steven, Owen, Chris R, 34444, Yeska's holding me hostage, please send help. I'm under Yeska's desk, please send help. Yeska says, Fisher, 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 Fish, Fish. And then Fradinho, who has his name changed. Right, right. Very good, very good. That was with one breath as well. It was. I actually. It was. Like, um. Tailing off. Apparently, there's some some breathing technique that people can do to instantly uh, like hold their breath for four and a half minutes. Maybe we should teach that to uh, to John. Maybe. Just like uh, 
It has or, something to do with a breathing technique. I'm not even sure if that's scientific or just hocus pocus because that, David Blaine literally said that. So, um, oh, is that how he did like the weird Times Square like hold his breath underwater for like two days? Not two singers days. Singers have to learn how to do it or something, right? So they can like mm -hmm. sing long mm -hmm. notes and long long bits without having to breathe. There's like there's something they do as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, we had we actually haven't done our review uh, of the matches, so we got a lot to talk, to talk about. Not just like the matches that are going to come up, but as well, uh, but also a bunch of like topics that just uh, surfaced during the week. And we also get to talk about uh, some of the past matches. We probably won't make it through all of them, of course. With Christopher here, we kind of want to want to keep it relevant on topic. Um, and I suppose. A good point to start this at. What would you say, Joe? Do we do we directly want to jump into the games for yeah, this? Yeah, I think let's let's kind of take shock in general. The good, the bad, the tweets, how the players are feeling afterwards. I think just talking about the the general feeling after the shock game, which I feel like is a, is a pretty big win for you guys. Um, how's how's the team feel after the win? Or uh, maybe even just talking about the game first, wherever. Whoever Yiska kind of wants to take it, I'm on, I'm on board. Right. Um, yeah, so are you guys actually... Have you beaten the Shock for the first time? Was that your first I, time? I, I was doing... I'm, I'm, like, obsessed with, like, the records and the history of the team. So, like, you know, when we went on the... We were on, like, a 12-map win streak. I, I knew that, like, before the stats guys did it and stuff because I'm always, like, trying to follow, see where we are. And I think, from what I understand, is the... Fusion beat the shock in like stage one or two, season one, when they had like their um like their original bad roster almost, mm -hmm. um before yeah. before Krusty and they got all of those guys. But I think they also lost at the end of season one to Shock. And then I think we got beat uh, quite regularly in season two, yeah. and then obviously twice again this season. So at least the the current iteration of Shock, that was the first time we've beaten them, I'm pretty sure. And that victory wasn't just like the average one right like usually it, it gets pretty close between you guys this one at least in score wasn't did it feel close did it feel stressful no it was kind of weird you know especially after the finals we'd had the week before it's almost like you see them as like this i don't know anime like final boss and you expect whenever you finally beat them it's going to be in like some four three like extremely hyped up game back and forth and then we kind of just freeered them i think we kind of realized pretty early on that we were going to be okay in the series uh and then I, there wasn't like huge celebration we weren't popping champagne or anything afterwards because it was almost a little bit anticlimactic as as bad as that sounds really so you didn't feel like a huge burden finally no, it, was, it was a huge it was a huge achievement like it's important and we knew it was important for a lot of Mm -hmm. A lot of reasons, but I think that just the nature of like a Frio kind of not super close game was it's not as exciting as it would have been had we like managed like to win four three in the tournament or something, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Because uh, it's probably only like forty five minutes of game time in total, so you're you're <laughs> in and out pretty quick in a Frio. Yeah. Why do you think it was so one sided, relatively? I I don't know. It's a good question. I think. The one thing I can say this season about us is maybe the thing that I'm most happy and proud about is that 
Like, if you want to beat Diffusion this year, you have to be the best form of yourselves to stand a chance, you know? Like, if you look through all of our losses, I think the first one to Paris and, like, where we lost in that literally 99-1-1 overtime last fight, okay, I think we were bad then, but that was the first week of Hero Pools, so we were mm -hmm. in chaos. We had no idea what was going on. And I think Paris were probably in a similar boat. But then if you just go through every of our losses, after then, I think we lost to Mayhem in the first tournament, which was probably the best Mayhem I've ever looked all season, was that patch. Mm -hmm. Then, okay, we lose to Shock again in, like, uh, Widow, Tracer, Bap Zen meta, which is probably the best they've been all season. Then we regroup, and then we get to the final against Paris, and we probably lose to them in what was their best performance and their best meta in that the Genji, Arisa meta. And then again, we lose to Shock when they were pretty good. Um, so almost all of our losses, teams had to really really beat us and none of those games except for that one shock game were were one-sided you know so it's like that's the one thing everyone needs to know when they play against the fusion is if if you want to beat us you have to be you have to be a hundred percent and then even if you if you're 80 percent, 70 percent, even if you're shock if you're not there we'll we'll free you you know we'll we'll run you over so yeah, yeah I, I guess that's how our season's gone in a, a lot of ways has how important do you think this one was for them? Uh, for, I mean, obviously, this kind of clinched for you the first place for this season, so that's a big one. Just like um, from a bracket point of view, that's not not a bad advantage to have. But also, how do you assess that from a mental point of view? I think it's huge, actually. Um, like you said, the first seed technically it meant it was more important than the tournaments because if we'd won the tournament and lost that game, we wouldn't have got first. Um, but when I like super it. Like, we don't care about that, but I think it's really important for our mental that we know that when we play Shock that we can beat them. And it's really important that Shock know when they play us, they can lose to us, you know? Because mm. um, we have it with certain teams where we almost feel like a little bit invincible against them. Like, there's a few teams in the league where we have, like, 5-0 records against. I know Atlanta, we've played them five times. We've won every time. I think Toronto, we're in a similar position. So when we come across those teams, we know that our mentality is we know we can win. And they probably know that they can't win or they know it's going to be really difficult. Um, so scratching that itch and getting getting that out of Shock's head and getting that out of our heads is, is probably pretty important. Yeah, I'd be kind of remiss if I didn't kind of pick your brain on the Temple of Anubis uh, differences. Um, both, or most teams within this last week had like two kind of different trains of thought where there were certain teams that were like very stuck on double shield, whether if it was Ryan Sigma kind of brawly stuff or the, the traditional kind of Arisa Sigma stuff. Um, yeah. You guys opted for a dive um, kind of tank line going into both defending and attacking Temple of Anubis. Could, whereas like Shock kind of was still dabbling with the double shield. Could you kind of talk a little bit about why you guys decided to go with Winston? Yeah, so so for a shock week, we kind of realized we have to prepare a little bit differently than we would if it's against probably any other team in the league. And then also tournaments, you kind of can't afford to be specific. Mm. But like as coaches, we asked ourselves a lot of questions during the week, like what gives us the best chance against shock? Like if it with our map pool, it was like Lee Jang, Kingsrow, Anubis, Havana. In theory, we would have either played the Rhine comps or the, the Arisa Sigma comps against most teams, and that was probably optimal. Mm. But we felt specifically against Anz and just against Shock in general that we kind of didn't didn't want to just allow them to be too free. So we, we, we thought that Dive was one of the comps where we probably have the best advantage if they choose to mirror. Um, 
And considering we were one of the only teams playing dive in America, it probably meant that Shock didn't really get good practice against dive mm. during the week. Okay. And then we're in a situation where a lot of our practice was against these Arista Sigma comps. Gotcha. So for sure, our week was more productive in terms of like scrim opponents and quality. Mm. Uh, and we and we just feel really good on dive to be honest. Like, even if it like obviously when we originally saw like Briggs, Zarya, Genji, Tracer band, you think ah, it's going to be hard to make dive work. Mm. Um, but we're, we're, as long as Winston and Sombra are open, I think that there's there's ways to do it, and, and that's kind of that was where our strategy went, and I guess it worked. Well, certainly did. I think um, you kind of hinted at at Ons um, kind of going back to King's Row and looking at their first point attack um they they look to be kind of very committed into playing this brawl style and in leaving ons to his own devices and kind of creating all of this space for him is that something you guys were kind of prepared for coming into to that match against the shock yeah um they played the same lineup and the same style against dallas in the tournament and they and maybe the week before they played someone and they did it um mm -hmm. So it's something that they've had for a few weeks. Um, and, and I think I watched them against Dallas. And I think I said said to the guys that like what they did was it wasn't like perfect. You know, like I, I mm. saw that it could lose. And then the danger they have when they put in Super and Moff is that they only play the Rhine for attack. So then they're in a situation where they don't have the Orisa player they want and maybe not the, uh. I, guess, I guess, the difference. But it meant that their defense, they were playing people and characters which they wouldn't have done it if they had been uncomfortable um so we knew as long as we could find a way to to stop the attack and not let that like run over us that when we attacked we were gonna have like a pretty good chance on paper hmm. uh obviously the map ended up going differently where our defense was stronger than our attack but sure. at least that was the thought process behind it that makes sense makes sense <clears throat> there are some like some Reddit comments I've seen and like social media comments. And I think like if you if you were not someone that values like meta highly, I suppose there's an argument to be made that, I mean, at least perceptionally, the shock haven't taken the last couple of weeks, like apparently super seriously. At least that's that's sort of like this perception, you know, uh, subbing in and out like. Maybe that is a super serious strategy to just like have everyone in good mental states. But the theory then goes, they tried a lot, they entertained a lot, and therefore they weren't on top of their game against you guys. Do you think there's any merit to that argument? I don't know. I think Shock always get a lot of the benefit of the doubt when it comes to to when they lose. Like I think I feel like the narrative when they free owed us was that Shock is the most dominant team in overwatch history. Mm. Yeah. Um and then when we free owed them, it's like, oh, Shock just had an off week. And then they go and free owed Toronto and everybody starts like raving lyrical about, oh, you'd never make the Shock angry. Don't do this. As if Shock weren't going to free owed Toronto anyway, as if like we, yeah. it's like, I mean, I understand why they're the best team that's ever played the game. And across these two seasons, they've been totally sure. dominant. But I do think that sometimes like if they win, it's because they're the best. And if they lose, it's just because they had a, a bad they day. And trying. I feel like we yeah. don't get enough credit for for yeah. how we played across the series and how we were just better like on the day mm -hmm. well certainly like that that has to well I, I won't speak for you but like it sounds like it's pretty frustrating to kind of see you know this team get a lot of like you said the benefit of the doubt like 
does that make the victory even that much sweeter or is it like okay now we have to like repeat and kind of show the community that we are the better team and this wasn't just like them not trying or them you know practicing for the playoff meta like could you explain a little bit more on on that feeling of like the community's narrative perception yeah i, I guess to be fair like I, I read the comments and, I, and it annoys me. It ticks me off a little bit, but it's not like it changes anything. Sure. Um, yeah. The only people whose mental, like, I think our players know what happened in, in that game. And I think Shock's, Shock's players knew what happened in that game. And as long as both teams understand that, it doesn't really matter if the community thinks they were good or we were good. Um, obviously, it would be nice to get more credit, but it, it doesn't change anything, you know? Like, that's kind mm. of... They've, they've earned that right almost by being as good as they have been over the last two years. And... And I can't really blame people. Yeah. I mean, this this transitions a little bit into a sub-point that we already sort of raised with, with the article that sadly didn't get the traction that I thought it deserved. Um, like, and, and you pointed out, like, in, in that comment, basically saying, like, if a team says nobody on their team looks at social media, then they're probably lying. And... From my time in esports, that's definitely the case. It's actually humorous if you're like at a big LAN, just how every third screen has Reddit open, uh, yeah. seemingly, or like refreshing Twitter feeds, looking at notifications, specifically like the comments they will specifically receive. Um, did, I mean, there is a certain mm, social media energy that this result like caused do you think that's also positive in some way to just like ha get One the confidence yeah uh, <laughs> well it's it's uh i guess it depends on where you kind of like look at where the, the source is right? i mean is the source Sure. One way or... There's there's social media comments from the fans and then there's social media yep. comments from the players of the other team weirdly enough um how did you receive that the fans, yeah, it's whatever. The shock tweets, we love the shock tweets. We had a, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, you know, when when Violet goes and, and cries on Twitter, he thinks that he's like, he thinks he's shit talking us, but we're all sat there laughing at it, you know, because we know we've rattled him a little bit. And when Krusty makes mm. his tweets, the same thing. Uh, I think Striker does them. They, yeah, um, I guess Coffee's tweet really like struck a nerve a little bit, but but that's good, I think, for the league. Um, mm -hmm especially if it's it's genuine like i'm definitely a believer in the fact that it's in nobody's best interest for fusion and shock to get on like actually like personally like it it's actually works better for everybody if there is like a a genuine rivalry yes. there where it's there yep. where both teams actually don't like each other and both teams genuinely yes. want to win you know like i grew up in an area of like man united and arsenal and every time we played them it was genuine hatred it was like it wasn't fake it was like players would go out there and losing to them would be worse than anything that could happen. And I think that, especially when there's two teams like us two who are competing for top spot, mm. the fact that when we beat them, it genuinely makes them upset and makes them want to come after us harder is a really good thing for, for us and for the league and for them and, and for everybody, really. Yeah. Um, I really okay. think no, no one benefits from a league where it's PG and censored and everybody just loves each other. And it's like, GG's, I love you, you know? Like, yeah. There's no benefit for us to be friends with them, you know. If we want to beat them and that's our only goal, then sometimes like, yeah, a rivalry and a, a little dislike is is more healthy than respect, you know. Yeah, and it's it's in like, basically at every level you have exactly this phenomenon. Like in Valorant, that's like one of the major draws when like 
TSM and Sentinels. So for those that don't follow, follow Valorant, Sentinels is a team Sinatra plays for, and is probably the star player of. Um, when they kind of face, face each other, and they are the two best teams in North America, they have some sauce for each other. Like Zoms, um, old Overwatch heads will remember, um, had some interesting words towards TSM as well. So mm -hmm. like that, ma these matches just like almost get double the viewership uh, that you would expect. People, people want to see them compete. People want to see them. You know, they're they're kind of like hyping up some sort of weird boxing match, like. Obviously, you know, COVID, you know, uh, playing, trying to play within COVID's weird boundaries that it's set up. Like, I'd love to see, you know, the, the fusion, the shot come out and, you know, throw some content jabs, you know, play a little bit. I think I think it's been needed, like you said, for the league and for a long time that it isn't just like completely desensitized and like washed out. And yeah, like you said, very PG, like. Yeah, a little banter is nice, like some back and forth. And if we can genuinely create like a little rivalry, like we had you know, early with Dallas and Fusion, even though it's really not much of a rivalry anymore, um, that'd be that'd be pretty good, I'd say. I agree. Maybe it's because I'm English, but sometimes I find these like these almost manufactured rivalries, like the the mm. Battle for Texas and stuff, yeah. where like like I find a lot of what Paintbrush does when he goes on stream and he does like these like jokey shit mm. talk. Like I find that super boring personally. Okay. Whereas like the the tweets and stuff that violet and striker and crusty mm -hmm. where it's like you guys are a bad team like well done for waking us up and stuff i i love that far more you know yeah. like i'm far more invested in the storyline where i know the teams actually don't want to lose to each other rather than just it's a normal game and they try and make it oh the battle of la the battle for for texas or something you know yeah and it's i, I suppose to a degree like um like this is the first season where we're actually apart from each other right like uh, in 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 the sense that like beforehand we all like I, I assume players just met each other in the arena like um, on like on the in the hallway or whatever maybe even teams had like some teams had closer relationship to others um, and like maintaining a healthy friendship or whatever um, between or like just like you know sports a healthy working relationship with uh, the other teams yeah and, you yeah know, neighborly. Um, Goings on. That that was probably much easier now that we're a little bit removed and everyone is with their tribe. I I could totally mm. see where the where we meet each other at the at the borders and just like try to stake out our territory of what what we're going to uh, engage in, right? So that that's that's an interesting part. I think it would have actually like the, that effect would probably been much exacerbated by just like fan crowds at home stands. Um. Like this, yeah. there's, there's nothing that is, like, for instance, imagine Washington playing like five times at home, right? And then two times, just like you have, like on the first meeting, you have like a team, at, like, let's say Atlanta, and Dogman mm. just starts shit talking on stage, just like getting booed. Like the second time they meet, that's amazing, right? Like yeah. he, that guy just think gets into the arena and it's like, only like who like that that's just yeah. just think about if shock if if the league were to play out kind of as we expect it to but we still had to travel and the shock go to philly that's philly's it, known to be pretty crazy like I mean, we, if shock we were, rolls up yeah we were booing the teams that were at our yeah. home stand and we didn't even dislike them for any reason but we're still <laughs> booing them yeah. like imagine like just imagine a situation where after this loss like shock mm -hmm. takes it 
really bad. And then Krusty writes and says, right, we're never scrimming again. That's it. You and us, we're never scrimming again. And then we play again, and then maybe they win, right? And then all of their tweets come in, like, ha-ha. And then we meet at LAN, maybe we go to top four, and then Krusty's sure. like, shoulder checking me in the corridors. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then next season, they come to Philly, and every single fight they win, it's booze, and they walk out, and the booze, and then we have to go to San Francisco, and the league can actually hype up these matches of yeah. Philly at shock. And all of the San Francisco fans are like booing the Philly fans. And mm. I don't know, that's to me, at least coming from, from my background mm. in football, that's kind of, that's what it's all about. You know, that's the, that's the dream behind the idea of localization. I think the idea that everybody needs to be friends, I think it misses the mark in sports because yeah. that's, that's, the idea is it's, it's your team versus the world, right? Like, yep. yeah, yeah, it's, it, it you know, feels like we're very often feels like in sports, we're like almost simulating a domesticated version of war in some sense which just like let's yeah. let's get all the toxic stuff out of the system and on monday we can be like functional human beings with so this is your again. version of the purge is sport pretty much yeah but of course i don't know if there's any scientific backing i will say like the the tribal communities forming around sports definitely feels yeah. like it um like i i like, I don't want to go into that metaphor too much again, but to sure. a degree, like, if you're, for instance, like, a team that actually does pretty well and the normal expectation is that you usually win, like, yeah. I feel like the, the act of going to a sports game then almost feels like going to church to a degree. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, you just meet up in a gigantic building and you sing songs and then... Like, and you, you kind of like praise the idea of like these have people a community. doing these great tasks. Yeah, yeah. But have a community yeah, and just like definitely. I mean, like in a secular, more secularized world, that there has to be something that fills the void of community, and I think sports, mm. to a large degree, fills that. And sure. um, that was like the thing is with homesteads was always that we we didn't have them regularly enough to build habit. Mm. Um, so they're more like one one time events, and I feel like also the, like the number five, for instance, for Washington would have probably not worked to oh, establish anything. Thank you, COVID. I didn't. I really didn't want to have to see Washington play at home and see that empty crowd. Oof. Yeah, I, I'm acrobats not... every week. Come on, yeah. let's let's not do that again. I, yeah. I don't know how how many would have actually showed up, but like. Yeah, I mean that's that's the that's a long term dream, right? To have like regular appearances where like um, you can actually make it a habit to a degree, and maybe we need a different system of like maybe watch parties are become that for people within the city when the teams travel because I don't think you can expect your fans to travel to every th single homestand with the team uh, to the same degree no. that, for instance, in local, uh, mm. right? Um, leaks he would do so um, maybe we need to foster like just like remote watching to a high degree because that's already the esports experience for the vast majority of people anyway yep. and um, even like the playing field is virtual in the distance so to speak on some servers so to speak so yeah like um, I think there's a lot to be done culturally while, while still maintaining like a sense of community where we still mm. meet in physical places and like form bonds and friendships and whatnot over uh, these events. But yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a tangent that happens when John isn't here to reel us in. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to, to kind of 
kind of rope Chris in here. I don't know if like this has been something that you guys have talked about with like upper management and like the operational team. Like, is is this something that that might be, you know, aligned for the future for the fusion for Philadelphia? Um, you know, trying to better create online spaces to not foster a community, because I think that's obviously what what everybody's trying to do in the first place, but to try and take the 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 lessons that COVID has taught us and try to apply them for the future, creating, you know, I, I know that going into this year, a lot of people were like looking at VR and AR to kind of like better create like not an arena experience, but something that's a little bit more unique and yeah, just kind of an experience. Is that something you guys kind of talked about? I mean, I think we do it. I think quite a few teams do it. We do like watch parties in the discord or on zoom with the fans. Mm. And we like, we, we not sell tickets, but you have to reserve because there's only a hundred people out in or something, but we, we try and do, do that aspect of it. And I I think it's quite regularly attended by people. You normally get the the full hundred people in, in a zoom call watching. Um, yeah, I guess I, I don't know what else we're doing. I'm not really like sure. too totally. into that. Hundred um, percent. But yeah, I, I guess a little bit. Gotcha. I suppose like one one aspect that, and we won't talk about every single game, of course. That's kind of like a waste of time uh, because we once again had like a half of the matches were three O's. Um, but like one interesting pattern was, to a degree. I think if you're, if I am Fusion, I love to see these results. Like, Shock didn't look amazing, let's say. Um, or, let's say this. Shock looked very, very beatable for you guys. Uh, to the degree, like, I, I think if you play 10 uh, best of fives, then uh, you probably win, like, at least 8 of those that weekend. Mm -hmm. um, you look at Mayhem, who kind of, like, dropped the spaghetti against uh, Valiant. You look at um, Paris, who played Atlanta close. Uh, like, from an NA point of view, your direct competitors, they aren't peaking, are they, at the end of the season? No. A lot of them are really struggling with consistency and have been all season. Like, I feel really bad for Atlanta because I watched that game against Paris and I actually don't know how they lost it. Like, that last mm. fight is, is it's literally unlosable, but they found a way. <laughs> and then it snowballs into a situation where they go against Vancouver and it's looking good. And then they find a way to throw that one away as well. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I think that teams like Atlanta, like Gladiators, maybe like Mayhem, are just constantly in this situation where they're just trying to put like a few good results together and they always just mess up one and then their momentum goes and they have to like start again. Um, but we also know that a lot of those teams are good enough to beat us on the day, um, which is kind of what's scary because if like a good version of the Gladiators could have beaten us this season, like we played Atlanta close at times this season, Mayhem did beat us, Paris did beat us. So all of these teams can be good, um, but we know that there's like such a high variance in the level that they bring compared to us, where we're kind of we're pretty consistent. Do you have yeah, also? interesting thing to note is almost every team that i mentioned like in this like maybe between like third and sixth all maybe with the exception of gladiators really excelled at like double shield metas um and if the meta goes away from that it's going to be really interesting to see how like how atlanta florida paris can all play if it goes to a dive meta or something new because mm. we haven't seen too many too much of them playing it and at least not with too much success 
Mm -hmm. You kind of wish that um, it would not hero pools, but like these metas were kind of spaced apart so that you could kind of get a good read on exactly how everybody's playing. Is there like a team that or are you worried about like some sort of team like kind of like hiding behind the fact that they haven't necessarily shown how good they are at something like dive or something that resembles more brawl or something that completely hasn't ever been seen before? I'm pretty sure a lot of these teams had the opportunity to play dive, especially in the last month or so, because I think it's been pretty important in the meta. And the fact mm. that they haven't is probably a good thing for us more than a bad thing. It's not like they're hiding behind double shield, but I think if we go back to the analogy of bar charts when I was on here one of the first yeah. times, like it's super possible that these teams know internally their double shield bar chart is a lot higher than their dive. And I guess for us on the fusion, I guess Shock are probably in a similar boat. We want as much variance with the matter as possible because we probably genuinely feel like our roster and yeah our roster is truly meta proof you know mm. like at least we and probably shock can say that we were good at the rhine meta at the start of the season and then we had a lot of success even in double shield and um, we still got to two finals on that meta you know mm -hmm. um and then also dive we've been one of the better teams so so we're, we're super comfortable no matter what they throw it is that we can adapt to it and whereas i guess the teams in like the tier slightly below is still need to like prove that they can they can play everything and kind of looking at playoffs i don't think philly really gets enough credit for being that consistent team like you said you know a consummate first place team going through the regular season to you know monthly tournament finals um is that consistency something you guys are looking to kind of like wield that kind of meta proof um nature that you guys have built within this roster is that something you guys are looking to kind of like really abuse going into not only a meta that looks like it's going to be quite uh, peculiar, but also, you know, the, the end of this season, is that something that you guys really feel like you can kind of rely on? And I, I, th I think you guys have proved it, but kind of in your words, rather, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think when, when Rostin built this roster at the, in the off season, I think one thing he said that he was really, really keen to have a good regular season. Um, mm. It's a really horrible place to be where, these teams that I mentioned where it's kind of where we were last year, right? Uh, we mm. were always felt like we would scrape a few wins together against bad teams. And we always felt like if we just got one result against one of the top teams, then maybe we could get on a roll and we could like level up and it never came. And it's, it's really, really like frustrating for the mentality of the team and just being inside one when you're constantly up and down and up and down and up and down, you know? Um, and for us, the fact that every time we lost, we were able to bounce back stronger the week after is like an incredibly good sign. Um, and it means that especially coming into like a double elimination bracket, whatever happens, I'm not worried that we're going to lose our mental, even if we do end up losing a series. Because um, I think we, we at least have the confidence that, that, that we can bounce back pretty quickly. The, the fear, of course, is that you're going to be the NYXL of season three, right? Super consistent season. Actually, not like even, even when we criticized uh nyxl for their tournament play it wasn't actually that terrible in play like uh, stage playoffs where like they still have a pet positive win record i think in in playoffs series anyway um is there like because here's the problem we have bought built bar charts right as as you said we have the bar chart of double shield we have the bar chart of dive now we're seemingly possibly cracking open a new bar chart which is zero main tanks <laughs> is yeah. that not something that could like that makes it a little like don't you have a, a certain feeling about that 
I mean, there is a world in which this meta becomes crazy and it's the first meta all season, which isn't good for us. And we have a poor playoffs performance and everybody immediately attributes it to the fact that our oh, Philly can't play in big games. Philly sucks in playoffs. Yeah. And they don't like, and then what's going to, what could happen is that it's just a horrible meta for us. We struggle, we're in scrims and then we, we lose and then everyone like, paints a narrative about the team and that sticks with us because that's already something that a lot of people are talking about right like the mm. fusion is always runner up and stuff you know even regular season mm. even though we won north america we're still technically second place you know mm. um so yeah I, I i understand that but i think we know internally that that's not, not true um i said it after the parasos when i came on here but sometimes when good teams play each other it's just a close match when one team wins and one team loses and there isn't some some mystic reason that Paris were able to like clutch it out and that we win. It, it's just that's kind of just how sports is, you know. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, and it's just happened that we lost a few times when it mattered most. Um, here's the thing like, I agree, like, from a if I'm the competitor, I understand this, right? Like, for instance, if your matches all go to like 3 2 and it's very close, then I think it's very obvious that like the smallest of differences could 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 have changed the outcome of the series one pretty big difference is catching a better meta than your opponent right so yeah there is like i feel like at least from the outside i'm not sure if it's um this feels like a um like one of the situations where it's good for you to not believe that to be true um uh, as a as a competitor but like if I'm getting into a series and I know like yes we're we're like pretty good in this meta but our opponents are actually like mega nuts in this meta and they literally couldn't have been better uh like for instance maybe the Florida series uh, that you had then mm -hmm. it's it's hard to not feel a way about that when when that's at least like 5% modifier on the outcome right No no for sure um, I guess one thing we're lucky is that there was, what, 13 teams in our division in America and we beat every single one, um, mm -hmm. which means that no matter who we come across, we know we can beat them. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we also beat New York, but maybe that doesn't, doesn't yep. mean anything for now. Um, so at least mentally, there's no team that we would feel like there's we can't beat or that a meta is going to be really bad for us in. Um, and then, hey, maybe this, maybe this, if it if it is actually, which... I definitely have doubts. If it is a double off tank meta, then that, that might end up favoring a team with two world class off tanks more than the other teams who who only have one, you know? Mm. Is there any Are you guys interested in Sorry. kind of the styles clashing with uh within regards to like the grand finals with obviously the two top teams from each region kind of competing against each other? Is that something you guys are kind of like, oh, I wonder what Shanghai might bring to the table? Is that something you guys have kind of talked about internally? Maybe like a, a particular team from Asia that you guys would like to kind of test your medal against? Well, Shanghai is a team everyone wants to test themselves against. Sure. We definitely haven't had any conversations about how do we beat Shanghai or how do we do against <laughs> Sure. We really have to beat what's in front of us before we can even contemplate that. Sure. We'll have a few weeks in a Korean hotel quarantine to, to figure out how to play against those teams. Um, mm. I think my gut instinct tells me, I, I think most people seem to believe that APAC is it's the stronger region, and obviously, I might be slightly biased, but I think it couldn't be further from the truth. I think if you did like a top five or a top six power rankings across the league, I think only one 
team from Asia makes it in. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that both Paris Mayhem and then maybe there's an argument that Valiant would be better than the, the best of the rest in Asia. But again, that's probably a hot take where people are going to mm. disagree with me. Yeah. And I also think you have to consider that the fact that us, Paris and Shock have been in the same region, we've probably leveled each other up a lot. Whereas I think that the, the lack of depth, um, in my, at least in my opinion, uh, in Asia might not have helped them. I mean, you have to consider like how good Krusty's teams have always been and the fact that there's teams who've been able to keep up with that across mm-hmm. the entire season probably indicates that we're all pretty strong, whereas I don't know if you can necessarily see the same in Asia. Um, although I do think on the dive comp, we've definitely took stuff from Shanghai and we've been impressed with how they've played it. Um, a lot of my instincts personally was when I saw those teams play double shield that I thought we would beat them. But I, I have to admit that on dive, those teams are really strong. Um, especially Shanghai. I mean, to be fair, there's also something about Asia that's just so volatile. Where it's like, I definitely had points in the season where I thought, okay, Shanghai is obviously the best, but then like Guangzhou, Hangzhou, and even NYXL are actually pretty good teams. And then they drop the ball in the next meta, or like it, it doesn't even have to be mm-hmm. necessarily a meta change. It sh- it can just be an absolute. Sp- a spaghetti splatter the next week for no apparent reason. Like it's especially Spark is like this, Soul is like this. Um, even NYXL doesn't make that much sense to me. Guangzhou, I stand, understand to a higher degree because they had some visa issues and like theoretically, I think uh, I, like maybe I'm I'm simping a little hard here, but uh, I think Nero would have probably played the entire season um, yeah. if they had the the chance to field him. So. Um. Yeah, it's. I think at at the at this point in time, I think that take is probably right. That even though, to be fair, we once again last week just had like the drop off of the, uh, the good um teams. Now here's here's one thing that I once also wanted to ask because I didn't give this too much thought, but I was very surprised how high people v- uh valued gladiators in their power rankings. How do you how do you think about the gladiators? <laughs> My favorite team. Um, <laughs> good in scrims, not so good in tournaments. Maybe interesting. Mm. Um, to to be honest, even even the stuff. I mean, obviously, if you go on my Twitter, you guys see the only thing I tweet about is is shade on gladiators. Um, I know. I see what they're doing this season and I see a lot of similarities of how I was and how we were last season. And I see them falling into a lot of the same mistakes that we are. Um, mm. We know that they're, not, they're a team that no one like, okay, the way I describe it is this. If you're a top team, you don't want to play gladiators because you, you there's a feeling that they can beat you. But if you're a bottom team, you really want to play gladiators because there's a feeling that you can beat them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they're mm-hmm. a team with like such high variance that like, Every time we've picked them in the tournaments, we weren't like, especially, you know, when people on the shows and they go through, gladiators are often like the bottom seed, but teams often pick like Valiant and other teams ahead, ahead of them, them you know? Because mm, yeah. um, everyone internally, like on paper, they, they spend a lot of money. They have like a pretty good roster. They should probably be better than they are. And I think on mm. paper, their roster is definitely better than, than their record shows. Um, but they're another team that you can say where they, there's just games where they, they look good after a few games and then they really just drop the ball in a game where there's no way you can expect it. Um, and they're one, maybe they're one of those teams who has a good playoff run inside them and then 
hey, who knows, like the whole season gets revised and forgotten. Um, Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fusion season one. Um, or L London Spitfire for that matter. Yeah, London yeah. season one for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, are they the team with the widest divide between squint performance and uh, match day performance in your experience? Could be. Yeah, could be. Yeah, Atlanta are pretty good in scrims too. Mm. I mean, honestly, a lot of these teams have like fast, closer win rates to us in scrims than they do in tournaments. Um. And I think there's probably there's probably like deeper reasons for that. Like I have this like theory that last year we had such high variance in tournaments because we weren't particularly disciplined in like um especially in terms of, of like goats. Like we didn't have like what I can say this year is like KDG's coaching style and the way like him Moby have like worked a lot has been hyper consistency like everybody is hyper prepared everybody knows their role everyone knows how to use every single cooldown how to position every single fight how to ex like expect every single thing the enemy does um and i think when you're like over prepared it's really easy to just play that same level in tournaments you know whereas i think some some teams at least i see in scrims and i, I think maybe gladiators is one of them where i see their players clearly have like a lot of freedom right um and i see i see if you ever watch OG's Arissa, it's one of my favorite things to watch because the amount of times he's flanked on the back line is actually quite funny, you know? Um, <laughs> but when you have players with so much freedom, then that variance gets massively affected by the pressure of tournaments, right? Whereas mm. if, if you're a player and you have to use your sleep dot for this and you have to use your nade for this, and when they have this ult, you need to step back, and when they have this ult, you need to step forward. It's all about how you remember the the flow chart almost um, of what we've been like coached and prepped, and then it's a lot easier to keep that uh, that steady performance in a tournament. Whereas when in scrims, like you go and you're like, you know what, feeding is good. I'm gonna go take this like hyper aggressive flank. Oh, I killed three people, and then all of a sudden I get a bit nervous in the tournament, and I don't want to take that huge flank again. Yeah. Then obviously there is this huge variance, and then all of a sudden you've got this, I don't know, just flanking Arissa that's not flanking anymore, and that. You've been used to your Arissa flanking this whole time in scrims or, or something, you know? It kind of reminds me of a lot of the the stuff that went on, or maybe still goes on with like League of Legends when I followed that. Because a lot of like the NA scrim culture was like this overly aggressive, you know, in practice, but like nobody is proactive in the live matches. Yeah. Is that something kind of to the, the same degree that you're kind of referencing here? Where like scrims are completely almost divorced of what actually happens on like the, the match day? It's possible that aggression isn't necessarily the same thing as freedom. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I, it's hard. I'm trying to think of a good way to explain it, you know? like mm. um, I, I have one from, an, from another coach. Should, should I in, uh, inject some terminology? Okay, yeah. here's, here's the thing. And I'm not going to say who said it. And Joe probably already knows who I'm referring to. But it depends on what there's a terminology... Where the coaching staff calls that uh, inability to deliver, like, or playing differently, being pumpkins. Where it's like the idea is like they <laughs> in this is it Cinderella story, <laughs> where it's yeah. just like yeah they turn back into the pumpkins that uh, the beautiful carriages and whatever were were made from. That's yeah, I've, I've got some ideas on who that might be, but we'll leave that for another day. Right, but um, yeah, that's uh, uh sorry, I I broke you off uh with a so feel free to use the intuition pump pumpkins. pumpkins. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot easier to what's the opposite of the pumpkin? What did the they, carriage? 
Okay, then pumpkin so becomes the beautiful carriage that Cinderella gets into as the the it's story. It's a lot easier to be a carriage in Scrims where where if you mess up, no one cares and no one says anything to you, and it's very high easy to be like a high risk player. But it's obviously a lot harder when the pressure's on because you know mm. that if the risk doesn't work, you lose your team, the fight. Um, yeah. Whereas one thing I can say about us, and I'm to be fair, I'm certain that at least like I would argue that Paris and Shock have similar philosophies. It's like um, what you get in scrims is what you get in tournaments. Either their players have the mentality where they can play the same like hyper aggressive style in scrims and do it in tournaments because they don't mm. care. I think Sparkle is like Sparkle chain feeds in scrims but then he chain feeds chain in feed. like yeah. tones you know so it's like at least you know what you're going to get with him and then like his play style is obviously one where his mentality and his attitude is he can pull off that style um and then for us i think we're maybe on the other end of the spectrum where we play with a little bit more more discipline both in scrims and in tournaments so our, so our gameplay looks the same you know yeah i feel like the entirety of paris is or a lot of play, players on paris just love to feed just love to lemming in and just go like fd god is is in that same spectrum of player where it's just like i think he's still leading the death count by the way like of course it's <laughs> heavily play time dependent but uh yeah that's that's a, some trivia here um it's interesting that you say like i heard basically shock in some metas are like the ugly duckling where it's just like not that dominant in scrims but then once it comes playtime, it's just like, it's over. Well, yeah, I, I shouldn't. I'm not saying that like Shock aren't an aggressive team and their players don't take risks. I'm just one thing I can say wholeheartedly about the Shock, which is probably their greatest strength. And I think when Junkbuck came on this podcast, he said something similar, like where he wants to play in the most pressure situation. He wants to have a crowd of 10 million people and he wants like everything to be on the line, you know, because mm -hmm. if Shock's scrim level is here, their tournament level is here. Whereas almost every team has like at least like a twenty, I don't know, twenty percent mm. drop off, you know. And then depending on either how prepared you are or just the mentality of your players, the drop off can be bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but shock, that's the one thing is like it doesn't matter if it's a regular season game or a grand final, they're gonna, they, their players have that mentality of being able to play at the same level. Um, and I think that's why you've seen every time there's a tournament final or grand finals or or a big game. They look better, and it's not because they're necessarily playing better. It's just because their drop-off doesn't exist. Whereas the other teams, oh, if this is just mm, a regular okay, season sense. match, my drop-off's 20%. Oh, it's a playoff game, it's 30%. Oh, it's a grand final, it's 50%. You know, whereas Shock, what, this is the level. This is what we play always, you know? Mm. Yeah. Do you think there's ever a possibility that teams can go above that scrim level? I if... I, personally, like, I... I think a lot of people will tell you, like, oh, I'm better in tournaments than I am right. in scrims. Exactly. But I, I think... That like, I I don't know. I personally don't believe that. I think players just play the same, and then it, they look better because their opponents mm. drop off. You know, mm. like there's mm. I mean, there's definitely examples of sports of people that you would consider like big game players, like Cristiano Ronaldo. Every time it's a big game, like he always seems to score right. Mm. Um, uh, but I'm not convinced. Maybe maybe it's different for him. Maybe it's different in sports and sports. But I find it hard to believe that people can actually like level up on stage compared. Although to be fair, Hisu always does play better in tournaments than he does in scrims, so hmm. so maybe I'm just chatting. Hisu, big game yeah. player. All right, very good. Yeah, that's an interesting Fantastic one. I think th that's that's a, a uh, excellent segue. Um, okay, so I suppose it was a little bit, um, let's say, um, a little bit. 
optimistic, I would say, to Like, I did a top five rookies coming into the uh, league. And mm. I suppose I should have rather valued, like, end results of how people will perceive it rather than, like, where the actual player levels are. Because Gisu made my best uh, rookies coming into the league uh, list. I think it was four or five. Um, mm. Of course, the perception is very hard to establish and also have him become rookie of the year simply because, like, he has copy in, in front of him. Like, that's, that's a big one, right? How, how is that currently not the case? What's the rationale behind that? Is that something, like, is he so on these specific picks actually, like, just, like, a better choice? Is that something where you wanted to be wider uh, in on um, various positions? If there was a meta to come around where, uh, like, you 100% need to consistently play both? And what's the rationale there? They all, all of our DPS players, to a degree, have a... If it's, like, this massive circle of heroes like they all take their specific chunk and then obviously some overlap a little bit um i think that he's obviously played a lot over the last month but mm. he hasn't really played much that you would expect carpe to play right like he's played the majority of the sombra and then obviously there's maps where he's playing like widow but that's normally normally because on the other half of the map he's playing sombra right right um, so, like, people obviously pointed towards, oh, Carpe didn't play against Shock in the finals, like, Hisu's better, but that's just our dive strategy included Hisu because Hisu's a better Sombra than Carpe. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think Hisu's Sombra might be the best in the league. Um, so, so one thing that, that inadvertently worked out really nicely about picking up Hisu was that him and Carpe, even though they're both hitscan heroes. Their, their hero pool doesn't overlap a huge amount. Um, what Carpe loves to play, he's very good at. And then the heroes where Carpe struggled at, like maybe the maybe the Reaper or the Sombra, I think Hisu is ex excellent at those heroes. Mm. And that's allowed where both of them are able to, to play in specific metas. And then at the same time, there's often metas where double hitscan's absolutely fine. And that allows us to play both. Um, it's like they're both big circles and there's a huge overlap because almost anything that, like, Hisu can play a lot of the long-range hit scans too and it's not like Carpe, Sombra, or Reaper's bad by any stretch. Um, but then that's kind of how we've been working them so far. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think Hisu, Hisu's been one of the reasons why I think we've had, like, a slight uptick towards the end because uh, I love what that boy brings when he when he plays on, on stage or in tournaments. I think he's... Uh, I for a rookie, I think his mindset is actually perfect. I, mm. I genuinely love it. Mm. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird to think of him as a rookie because he has been performing so good within his first season. Um, obviously, we've talked about how much Carpe does for the team. Um, could you talk a little bit or, or maybe expand on maybe Hisu's yeah. kind of like social role within the within the roster when he's in? Well, he, he's the youngest, which if you understand. Korean culture is is like it's quite significant. Um, mm. But he like I, to be honest, the more I've worked with Hisu, if all of the other runaway players have been brought up in the same culture, I actually think that's an unbelievable fear team because I think the mindset that they've built into Hisu is exactly what I wanted. You know, mm. like he often he, he has this saying where he says like when we talk about like oh, for example, why isn't Decay playing or why isn't this player sure. playing? Uh, and then there's often a lot of stories inside and this Decay. Well, I guess maybe it was, I don't know, 
maybe I don't want to talk about, but there's sometimes players say, oh, I don't want to play this hero, right? And whenever Hisu hears that story, he hates it because he thinks that's the most unprofessional thing ever. He says that no matter what, what anyone tells me, if my coach wants me to play Junkrat like he did this week, he'd never played Junkrat before, he's going to do it and he's not going to complain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he, he absolutely believes that a professional player is a professional player and my job is to play on stage and do my best no matter what the situation is. Um, and he always says every time every time we we win a map, he says the first thing he says, "Okay, guys, be humble, be humble," you know, um, which I, I think is <laughs> is cute, but it's also like I think that's it. like he, he's one of the few players who still has like that really raw excitement, you know, when he plays. Mm. Like you can see if you look at the face cams, especially against Paris after he wins that Nambani, he has this giant smile on his face because he's genuinely really enjoying what sure. what he's doing, you know. Um, and I think that that's what I said. It, maybe the start of the year when I came on this podcast is the what's great about what we did this year was when we brought in the rookies like Hisu Alarm and Astro, there's still a raw enthusiasm of loving to play Overwatch, which infects the whole team. And the fact that Hisu is able to bring that whilst he's playing um, in the big games in like finals and semifinals of tournaments is like a really good sign, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think he, he honestly he has a lot of fun when he's out there. Uh, and that's one of the hardest things to coach people is how to have fun. But it's, sure. but it's 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 extremely important. I need to I need to start asking around for coaches on you know some of these extra runaway players because you you kind of like planted that seed of like okay now that I remember it you know runner's been coaching this team in very peculiar ways you know running Hawks all on Lucio and putting him on main tank in certain scenarios so this this kind of like checks out through history but I wonder if people like Yaki people like from this old runaway cord still kind of have that or maybe have um or could could resonate with that kind of stay humble and just you know completely bought into the coach's philosophy well, i think if you uh if you read swing chips tweets that she likes mm-hmm. to put out there's there's a lot of like maybe she cherry picks the moments where they're all being the nicest and sure. stuff but there does seem to be like a pretty wholesome and like positive attitude in amongst that team and they obviously have a lot of runaway players there yeah. um so maybe it's kooky maybe it's it's his mindset because obviously he coached them last year or maybe it's just it's it's a bigger picture of runaway but i definitely think at least personally from now on i'm I'm kind of like more bought into the runaway hype train and and in the future i'm gonna like place their their players like above others just because of the mindset i hope that they can come in with maybe i'm just selling he's short and it's just a him (laughs) maybe it's just a him he just has a good mindset and it's nothing to do with runaway but whatever it is I, i I hope it's replicable, you know? Mm. Okay, I'm I'm going to be a little bit unfair and burden you with a question that kind of your GM set up for, for this. So Yeah. You like Carpe has a specific hero pool when those heroes are meta, he plays. That same is true for Hisu, like Ricky said, Reaper and Sombra. Where's DK fitting in there? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's a good question. It's going to be, you know, love Rustin to death. He, he gave us his, his coaches. He gave us a lovely situation in terms of uh, good luck finding a way to play both Poco and Fury, which obviously is a coach is a sure. lovely situation. Mm. It's, it's a nice problem, you know, because you've got two of the best in the world and and ultimately, we found a way to do it to a degree, and then maybe that becomes a similar situation with DK. I think great players can always play together, and I think DPS is probably the role where it's easiest to do so. I don't think like you need a flex and you need a mm-hmm. uh, a hit scan. Like I think DK's Genji's fine. Yeah. Like I think almost anything that he could have played if he was on our team, 
it wouldn't have been a problem. Whether or not he's serious and he's actually going to go talk to him in the offseason, I guess, I don't know. Um, or maybe he just wanted to to shit on Dallas a little bit because that's always fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. You know. Yeah. Now that's, um, that's of course, like there's definitely like an uh, argument to be made that Decay also, like he, he first got known for his Genji. Um, actually recently opened like a time capsule video I did just like, I, it was interesting to see how much one forgets about like the the heroes mm. that people play. Like, huh? um, obviously, like at the time that was October two thousand eighteen. Like, I was apparently very like everyone was just talking about Sparkles Farah, and that was the big story. Um, when in my mind was always like, okay, Genji, or like if someone had asked me, uh, Genji and Doom, right, and uh, so that it's interesting how players develop. Also, I will say we've definitely seen that this idea of like hard hit scans and hard flex kind of died this this season. Like we have Edison that suddenly like was this widow one trick, and now uh, Edison plays like uh, Tracer and Genji, and then we had uh, what kind of a player would be pretty? Uh, just had another name, but. Yeah, it's it's not a an unusual thing for very talented players to just like break open um, those like um, borders that we have artificially mm -hmm. set up for them. Um, I suppose also that comes with just like who they are within the team. That's always, of course, also part of the the equation. Um, but yeah, it's it's very interesting to see, like. Ironically, this is the first season where the idea of a flex tank instead of an off tank sort of makes sense because yeah. suddenly off tanks didn't have to be uh, just on D.Va. Like, what's flexible about that? But now, like, the idea... Like, there's just so many more, like, flex and hyperflex uh, players. Um, where that's, that's a very interesting development. It's also... Um, I think just like hyper talent and with talent I mean not just like the ability the inherent ability to have very good eye hand eye coordination or whatever like a talent is also being able to just grind into like go through the grind right and uh be resistant towards uh that aspect or to just like to a degree maybe to have a, a lower uh sense of ego or whatever and to be be mm. A personality that uh, takes criticism better, or whatever it is, right? Like hyper, hyper good people. I feel like if you're if you're world class on one hero, you can probably learn it, uh, learn that on another. And I just realized that this theory breaks off with your brother, <laughs> probably. <laughs> do you think you could be could be good on, on another hero i mean i'm convinced if maybe minus like really hard hit scan heroes if phil had the same hours on any hero mm -hmm. that he had in doomfist he'd be good at it doomfist is maybe one of the ones where like the more playtime there's so much to learn about the hero that the more playtime the more there is to master maybe mm. whereas if you play mccree there's only like so like aim becomes like a huge part of this your skill your skill ceiling and your ability to play him right um 
But I think the main point of what you were saying is true. I think I said it to you in one of the interviews we did, Joe, about Alarm, and I said that mm-hmm. what what we say about him and the team is he's just good at Overwatch, you know, and it's not a situation about um, he can only play heroes within in, within his role. Like, if we said, ah, Sado can't play Hog Alarm, do you want to play it? I'm convinced he'd be he'd be fine at playing it, you know? Um, and I think that's that's almost certainly going to be the case for, for Carpe, for DK, for a lot of these, like, world-class players is if if it's uh if Genji or whatever becomes meta and it's their job to learn one, they'll be able to do it. They, there's no reason they can't, you know. And it's those players that I wish, and I know that I think I I, I still kind of stand with Rolock and and saying that it was probably healthy for the game, but I I do wonder what what a world what a few like Philly Fusion team might look like if we had like these very fluid kind of metas where we had you know supports having this go to do it to a dps character or you know tanks having to back off and play something a little bit more supportive taking taking somebody like alarm taking somebody like carpe looking at you know how hoxall has been super flexible libero like all of these different players i think architect really kind of blew my blew my mind coming in from being one of the better genji players from the apex era and coming in and showcasing like a pretty solid hit scan like it, it really doesn't do the players justice and how deep their game is when we kind of limit them even though i think it is probably better to have that kind of structure just for the idea of the game as a whole but yeah it it's pretty scary at how how good at overwatch some of these players are it, to your team in particular i talking even before the overwatch league was starting like picking the brains of people who are a little bit more closer to the to the the original kind of inaugural season rosters people were like yeah carpe might just be the best genji on their team like He's not even supposed to play Genji, but he just might just he could probably challenge people on that. It's 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 wild. I think yeah, I think I've even seen both Sado and Alarm be top twenty on DPS and top five hundred this season. Um yeah. Violet's like another Super one. Smiths or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess like yeah, Sado's one wow. who's like he's so mechanically good that he's like it's almost a waste of his talent to be a main tank, you know. <laughs> um I mean, uh, maybe he, he doesn't really need to. to that, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe this is the matter for Sado, you know? Well, I, I'm actually 100% sure if he has to play Azaya or a Hog, that Sado would be really, really, really good at it. Better than perhaps the majority of main tanks, for sure. Mm. Do we kind of want to go into the foresight into what playoff meta might look like and yeah, tackling that? Because it is... I'm hearing some bizarre stirrings of Hog, Zarya, Ball, Hog, you know... As a team going into this strange wasteland um, with, you know, the, the next week you guys presumably have off. Um, first, let's kind of like go into that. What, what's the kind of plan or roadmap going forward into playoffs? Are you guys taking some time off to kind of, you know, reset or are you guys completely going ham and boot camping the entire way there? Yeah, absolutely. We um, our philosophy, at least since the format of the league changed with the mm. tournaments and stuff. Our philosophy has very much been um, work hard and then we'll we'll reward you with like genuine time off. You know, I think after the sure. first tournament, we had two weeks off. And then I think we also had two weeks off after the second tournament. Um, so we, we have a week off now, whereas a lot of teams are still screaming. One thing, one good thing about locking up first or one of the top seeds is we at least we probably have the teams are going to play like four or five days before us. We're going to get a little bit more time. So we're not going to get necessarily punished. Um and yeah, like we we almost like kill ourselves during the weeks, like with these long days and like working really hard to win the tournament. And then obviously we maintain that because we really wanted to beat Shock too. 
Um, so it's only fair to the players that we say, like, if you, you're going to work these hours and you're going to put in the effort you're going to, that when we get the opportunity, we're not going to, we're not going to keep keep making you play. Um, mm. So yeah, we have uh, probably I think it's eight days in total since the shot came off, um, and then we'll probably get at least two weeks practice before we have to play the first round of playoffs. Mm. This is this is a question where you possibly have to say no comment um, because we were we were concerned or interested like let's say you guys make it top two and then you have to yeah. travel to asia and then there's quarantine we have the ability to practice in quarantine i really 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 hope so um f from what i hear the it's positive i don't know i i think everybody's saying yes but at the same time it's hard it's like, like it definitely is hard it's, like it's, I, I wouldn't would totally understand if it wasn't possible yeah yeah, it's government-ran hotels and stuff, right? So I'm like trying to understand how Blizzard's going to be able to phone up a Korean government hotel and say, "Hey, can you make an exception and let us move these PCs in and stuff?" Um, but yeah, for now it seems, from what we've heard, is it it, it will be because if if we have to go to Korea and we have two weeks of no practice and all these Asian teams that are already over, they get two weeks yeah. of practice. Yeah, we come out of no Overwatch and we have one week of practice and then a game. Yeah, we actually have no chance. There's actually yeah. no way for us to win under those. It's the most unfair thing possible. Mm. Um, so to me, I think it's a huge breaking point. If the league can't find a way to get us practice while we're quarantining, then I think there's it, we can't do it. It's, there's no mm. competitive integrity whatsoever. You just just hand Shanghai the title and just let it be done. You know. Um, also, I think I heard recently that Korea's had like a an almost a second spike over the last week. So mm. so who mm. knows? It's the situation is so turbulent, you know, it changes yeah, all the time. So, yeah. so all, we, all really we can do is where we can is just just focus on the next one and, and try and at least make it so that they have to make the choice if we're going or not. I, and, I not get another team. I guess it's only fair then to shoot the Asian team's knees and just like give them two they weeks of quarantine as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how, how you would you even try to mandate. I that. mean, you can call up the local prison. Like, that's oh my like, god, just put them in a box. Everything for, two for weeks. I mean, that's where, where you guys presumably will land because, yeah, that's it's a good question. Like, it's I think like bringing the PCs in is not an issue per se because I think I heard the Guangzhou one of the Guangzhou boys did this, and then of course, there's like gaming laptops and whatnot. It's not amazing, but mm. it, I, I suppose it's workable. Um, but um, I think the internet connection is the bigger concern. To well, actually, that... I think that might be okay because it's Korea, you know? Yeah. The, the internet over there is ridiculous. Um, mm, I'm sure even hotels have, like, perfect connection. Yeah. You probably play on, like, a hotspot in Korea and you <laughs> have better ping than you would over here, you know? Sure, sure. 100%. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that, it's just, like, one of the concerns. Of course, once oh, again, sure. like, you, you can only harp so much on competitive integrity uh, if it's just, like, True. governmentally decided yeah. that it is that way what, what can you realistically do other than find some some weird work around um but the only solution is to have a north american and an asian champion right yes yeah you just have no way for them to play each other that would just as much as that might suck it's mm -hmm. i think it's a lot fairer for everybody than to force the american teams to go through yep. for two weeks of no practice you know or kind of take the situation as it is, you know, hopefully to, to your point, I, I hope that this was thought about 
you know, I'm sure it is. I'm in sure depth and one hundred percent. And and I'm I, I give the league that credit, and I, I'm sure they've they've spent enough time and probably have some sort of workarounds. But if the situation were to worsen and wherever you know finals is supposed to be held, um, is is there kind of a backup plan? Do you do you know an Asian and a North American kind of champion and have them meet up at a later date that you know you extend the time or, or try to be a little bit more flexible in that i'd love for that to be the case i hope that we just don't completely never you know get to see internet come true international competition this season i think that'd be that'd be kind of uh, disappointing um even if it is just kind of like a a quick you know two teams fly out place play a good series after you know a month of quarantining and practice you know i don't know meet, meet halfway here's the thing uh joe we actually already can read between the lines that some some workarounds are being planned because sure. like from the from the from this pickup rule that like if someone was unable to travel yeah. then like the wording is very specifically must have an asian uh visa mm -hmm. so like much like um others would play probably apart from the team simply to just then like maybe you like depending on the nationality of the respective player or maybe mm -hmm. the entire team, maybe this. I'm not sure what kind of visa processes even are going down. Like maybe teams are applying for multiple countries or whatever and see what sticks. Um, and then you just like, I, I'm not sure what the, what the ping differences, for instance, between China and Korea would be. Um, okay. But like depending, and I suppose that also depends on the, uh, the region that you get to visit. But yeah, like, I think there's theoretical workarounds where, yeah, you can't have like a LAN environment or whatever it is that was planned. Mm -hmm. um, but you could have at least like the... Like um, a controlled studio type of deal? I, I mean, ju even just like everyone sits in their hotel room, has a good sure. working station, and then just plays, plays. via the internet uh, sure. these these uh, competitive matches. I th I don't think that is a huge... Um, like downgrades from the other mm -hmm. experience, we wouldn't have uh, audiences m most likely anyway. Yeah, so no. that um, no experience is gone. Um, but yeah, like it's it's a it's of course very challenging. Like that definitely oh, the sure. case, right? Even in the announcement, they did they they make a point to say that in the event that it's unsafe, that they're just going to do two regional champions. So it's obviously mm -hmm. something that they like have to heavily consider. Um. I wouldn't want to be the one making that decision, like having to judge like the the league, like because everybody wants to see it, but then have to judge safety and then competitive integrity and how to find a solution that benefits everyone. I'm, mm. I'm glad that I'm just I'm just sitting here instead. Yeah, and credit to the credit to the the Overwatch League brass, you know. Um, yeah. I don't, I, again, I, I want to kind of keep with the, the mantra of, you know, credit where credit's due. That's not an easy decision to make. I'm glad that they've thought it ahead in advance and, yeah. You know, yeah. good on you. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So better. No, okay. like one one more question to, oh, go towards go the. Um, and this is a little ignorant. We are, we are playing out the North American and the Asian, uh, like grand final, right? Because like theoretically, you could just say, well, this team is the first seed based on, uh, oh, loser yeah. bracket and yeah. winner bracket, and then we're just sending so. them over, and we actually don't have champions. I haven't even thought of that. So, yeah, kind of, but I Eric. also think there's there's something a little bit weird about if we're playing like 
winners finals, for example. Mm. No, because there's going to be a winners. We're not. We're never going to play like the grand finals for North America, right? Like the winners bracket winner is just going to go to Korea, and then ah. the losers bracket winner is going to go to Korea. But those two aren't going to match up again. Gotcha. So presumably, if they cancel Korea, then those two teams will just play, and then okay. that'll be okay. Yeah, America that's champion. that's a perfect gotcha. plan. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I assumed the seeding would be decided maybe by the North American final anyway. Um, but I, I, I guess that's a, that's a good uh, compromise because then you still have a grand final to substitute if mm. in the event that it in just ca can't come together. And it feels like an extra thing rather than one that was already planned. So that's actually a pretty good contingency plan. Uh, yeah. All things uh, fall apart. Yeah, that's that's a type of redundancy I love. Okay, so meta. Um, yes. So okay, we're we're of course not just extrapolating from ranked experiences, um, but we have some contenders matches to go on. Right. We can assume that there's some cross pollination between contenders and all teams at least at the touching points, and maybe that then spreads to all the teams in a good torp virus way. Um, <laughs> So, I guess we have a prior to say that currently we don't have main text in the meta. How, what's, what's your initial feeling on that? My initial feeling is in my head, I can never understand how Zarya Hug can be meta. Like, what is yeah. it off Like, it's not possible, right? But if the heroes are just strong, then I can almost certainly be proven wrong. I do think if it, if it does come to pass that that's the meta that is one of the most interesting tests of teams roster creating abilities that Apache has ever had um i think as over time you've seen like if you remember when um when overwatch was like maybe like pre-owl there was a situation sure. where main supports had to play lucio and then main tanks had to play like ryan and winston and then over time and then one thing that happened maybe this season or the end of last season was that main supports for the first time got tested on their ability to play heroes that wasn't Lucio and Mercy. We saw a lot of people having to play like uh, Brig, which is, a, I think, a pretty difficult hero. Like a lot of them had to play uh, Bap. Obviously, some have even played like Zen and stuff. Um, mm. And then what you've seen, at least what I've seen internally, is which main supports have been able to which were, were truly, really struggling outside of like a, a Lucio Mercy meta and which main supports who are really good at, at Overwatch, like we've spoken about before and can play a lot. And then obviously what ended up happening was the teams like maybe like us and like Shock, who were able to to find ways to put two flex supports in had like really good advantages in those metas, right? Um, mm -hmm. And the teams that didn't either expect a, a Zen BAP meta or a Brig BAP meta and only had two supports and one main support, I, saw, I definitely saw teams where I thought their main support playing either Brig or BAP was like a, a weak link, right? Um, and then teams that didn't have that strength and depth got punished. And conceptually, the same could happen here. Um, there's a few situations. If, imagine your main tank has to play Hog or Zarya, but there is a meta where it's not locked and sometimes you have to swap onto Rhino or Winston, then mm. one that's likely to mean is that your main tank has to has play, to right? There's, there's no way to sub them out. Right. And what that's going to do is it's going to test every team's main tanks like, mechanical or like ability to play over heroes right um and i think objectively looking at it there's going to be some teams that really really struggle if they have a main tank playing dire or hog like there's some main tanks in the league where there's no way they can play it at like a super high level what then it also means is that if that isn't the situation you can just play zarya hog an entire map and you don't have to worry about it at all 
The teams play two off tanks if they have them, maybe. I think it's pretty easy to play a DPS player on Hog and not have problems. Obviously, mm. Gladiators have already tested the waters by having a DPS player play Zarya throughout this season. Um, so it's going to be which teams either have the best main tank who can adapt mechanically to off-tank heroes. Because I also saw stuff like Sigma Hog a little bit today when I was watching the Mayhem Contenders tournament. Mm. Um, I don't put too much weight into what those teams are playing because I imagine they haven't had too much time on it. And I also think, generally speaking, that like Contenders teams are at least maybe able to like create new metas or to like properly theory craft like the way to play metas i think sometimes they're if i if i remember contenders teams are just way too happy just to copy and then just let's just play what everyone else is playing mm -hmm. you know um but it's definitely interesting i think for us we should probably be pretty happy about a two off tank meta i feel like if we had to play fury and poco i think there's probably no team who's going to match us on that tank line in the league so i think that's going to definitely be good for us um, who's playing hawk maybe that's a good question um probably fury i think would be what i would do but we'll i'm mm. sure we'll test both ways and i also sure. think we'll have to give sado a go on on hoggles yeah, i think it's super possible that if especially if it's like required to do some swapping then i think sado is going to be like really really good in this matter actually mm. Mm. it's a bizarre bizarre world um it, it seems kind of weird too because to your point like it is kind of strange to kind of conceptualize this because a lot of the game kind of since 2019 has been about leveraging the fact that the game dictates you be at certain points and it's not this kind of loose kind of scrimmy style which is the the vibe i get from this ball hog zarya kind of trifecta um any kind of thoughts on where the meta would go when Owl kind of does rotate towards this patch where, it, again, I, I find it pretty difficult to believe that it's just going to be kind of scrimmy all over the place. No shields. Your supports can get just absolutely blown up. My, uh, my I'm hearing shield. double sniper as well. So it's like it doesn't make it doesn't that, something's not lining up. Like my theory was that dive was the strongest before the patch and none of the dive heroes have been touched. Mm. So in my head, I think that good dive teams are going to have a lot of fun on this patch. Um, I do think that, I don't know, uh, to, to be fair, how many times have I said, you you guys maybe don't know, how many times have I said they've done it, they've killed Brig, there's no way she's sure, still sure. And then she comes back. And how many times have I said that, there's no way it's still double shield, you know, or they halved the shield. When the, those first, the risen yeah. came in, I remember being very vocal to like friends and stuff there's no way you can play a racer 600 shield what a joke but I was, I was incredibly wrong so who knows <laughs> um yeah I, I do i do think that larissa is going to really struggle i do think that the pull changes i just think it makes it really hard to combo a lot of stuff with it because it's so fast like before mm. the pull was so reliant on like pull rocks and pull ults and maybe i need to see it how it works, but I feel like it might be too difficult to get those combos off consistently when the pull goes like that, you know? Mm. Um, so that was when I saw the patch, I thought, okay, we're going to go into a into a dive meta, but to be fair, playing a bit of Winston ranked, maybe it's because I'm bad, but the, the Hogs proper one-shot you if you make even sure. one step, so, so maybe I'm wrong again. I mean, the Sigma kind of fits the bill when it comes to some of the DPS that have been running around. Again, just kind of Ash, Widows, these, these double sniper kind of archetypes. It feels like you need at least some sort of protection. 
with the hog because the hog does kind of give you another one shot potential um is there a world where like arisa comes in and just kind of like baits for like pull hog hooks to make that more consistent yeah um, rock maybe rock hall or rock uh chain hook something like that where you're you're trying to do these like two ability combos to to roll these fights yeah possibly i just can't the the image i can't shake sure, in my yeah. head is how an Orisa, no, a Hog Zarya can walk through a choke against Dive and not just be naded and killed if Yana's out. You know, I just don't mm. understand how, like, how, how you don't, or like, if there's a Widow and your your team's walking through a choke against a Widow with Zarya Hog, like, have fun. But, it seems like a, a, a just a death by fire. Like you, you yeah. don't have any kind of protection. Like you said, nades, snipers. Even just having a Zen, just free discords. Like there's no, there's no pressure. I just discord whoever I want, and I just right click them. Like it, it doesn't seem like it's gonna work. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Maybe like you said, maybe they're just too strong not to run, and there's like a weird style. Out of, like it's so bizarre. It's it's kind of fun and interesting, but in the same way, in the same sense, like you kind of coming from a history of playing a main tank, is it like? Does it feel weird kind of having such a big patch and maybe a, a, such a monumental shift in the way that this season has been played coming Bro, right at such an important time? If I was still playing as, and I was in the league, I'd be benched so fast on this. Patch. <laughs> <laughs> like the idea of me trying to play aim hero in a competitive environment would be a, would be a genuine joke. Like My team would actually have to sign another play instantly. I'd be the first one out the door. Especially in contenders when we didn't have like subs or anything, you know, this mm. would be the worst patch. This would be a career ender for me, actually. Um, <laughs> good thing I got out at the right time. <laughs> so there's the like friend of the show, Baroy, on Twitter raised like a point. So we we kind of have established that this is like in terms of meta, this could be the Wild West, right? And there there might yeah. be a way, like, of course, having more time on this patch than for means. Were then more well prepared for the playoffs, and but Royal raised the point that some teams still very much have to care about the regular season matches that are being played on a different patch, and therefore cannot focus on the playoff patch. Do you think that's a problem from a competitive integrity uh, point of view? Yeah, I mean I don't know which teams still should care about regular season because the cutoff is like top four is the only one that's significant almost everybody else is still playing almost right away unless i've got the format totally wrong uh, which is it is significant that like there in, in na specifically there's a second cutoff um i could bring it up real quick or eric can uh top five is significant atlanta and la can, teams can make top five so atlanta and lots of okay. gladiators and valiant are still very much uh focused on the next week yeah, sure. I mean, I guess ultimately when it comes to playoffs, is my my belief is that if if we're good at this better, you could probably take away first seed and put us in 13th and we'll probably still finish pretty similar, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a little bit harder, but I, I do think that if, if we would imagine, I don't know, we got we got fined all of our wins for whatever reason and then they made us come from 13th place, I think we'd still be fine. And I think that other teams would feel the same like i think almost if you did random seeds in a double elimination bracket then the final the final standings would probably look pretty similar because the truth the truth is if you're ninth seed or fifth seed if you're just a top four team in this meta you're gonna you're gonna get through anyway so i definitely think that it makes a lot of sense for these teams just to start scrumming live already mm. um, 
The other thing to think about is it's only a few days, and at the same time, the first few days of scrims on a patch are always almost a waste of time anyway. There's no one, sure. no one has it crapped out for us. We're going to take a week, we're going to chill, and we're going to do what we did at the start of the Countdown Cup and just see what everyone else has decided, and then we'll we'll see if we like it or if we need to make some adaptations. Um, sure. Well, the the issue is, and uh, I I don't have the the bracket up right now, but as I understand, Eric, mm. the the lower seats don't have that uh, ability to make the th second threshold. But I believe there's a cutoff where you actually don't enter the uh, double elimin elimination bracket at right. all. But you have to play ins, maybe. Yeah, you have to do play ins, which are single elimination, and then okay, the okay. three teams that you know do make it through are seated into the double elimination side. Yeah, I think. Then it does matter for sure. I am, yeah. I am wrong. Um, yeah. It also like it also comes into like a a product standpoint where it's like okay because of the format that you've chosen to run with like how the patches drop, it also kind of, kind of comes into question all of these these makeup games where it's like okay if we know that it's probably been more beneficial for them to or at least for some teams to practice live they're not necessarily practicing you know or, or practicing PTR not necessarily practicing live. Yeah. For these games, these makeup games, it, it kind of draws into question, like, the, not the competitive integrity, but, like, why do I bother watching these games when they're kind of already playing in advanced? It, it, it's one thing for, like, a couple teams to do it, but it seems like it's, again, more beneficial for a majority of teams, even the lower and the top-seeded teams. It's it's these kind of middle pack yeah, that, for sure. that have to kind of worry about both. Um, yeah. I, I'll actually just call up the, the, the statistics joker right now. Uh, Eric, can you fill us in on the on the breakoffs? That's right. Uh, so yeah, I can speak to the uh, top five teams go directly to double limit, a limb and an A. Uh, sixth through ninth, uh, that's uh, down to or just a defiant and fuel and sixth, uh, eight and ninth seat. They're going to play one round of single limb. And tenth through thirteenth have to play two rounds of single limb to get to the double limb bracket. Well, the ten thirteenth have to play two single elim matches to even qualify. Like, yeah, it's it's rough. Like, I I when we're talking about the season in general with hero pools and burnout and all this stuff, like, I I do wonder, like, is that really what we want to do? Is force teams to practice to kind of like fight for a decent playoff chance, and then on top of that, like, drop a patch that could be eliminating main tanks from the entire <laughs> game. Well, I I. Blizzard had a call about how the format wanted to do, and I was very mm. strongly in favor of, I think it's a joke that these teams even can qualify, to be honest with you. Fair, the sure. That 30 teams are all still in playoffs and still have, like, they only have to win two to make it to top eight, in my opinion, is genuinely a joke. Like, I don't understand how a team can go two and 24 and still and have, have a chance. Sure. Surely, sure. the whole point of regular season sure. is if you suck, you don't make playoffs, right? And obviously, there's the, the corona stuff has obviously made things difficult, and I think but to me, like, I think even eight teams is too many in a situation like this, you know? Like, mm. I'd be I'd be happy with... I, I mean, obviously, because we finished first, I'd say only one team should make it, you know? <laughs> I mean, like, it should be the Premier League. We should... They sure. Should be. But I don't understand why we have six months of games, and then at the end, as long as you're good on this random new meta, that it doesn't matter, right? Mm. Like, Boston could actually maybe be the best Zarya Hog team in the yeah. league. They go on this... And they finish, like... Fifth or sixth overall, when they went two and twenty-four, whatever their record is, you know, and mm, like I, yeah. that has to like to me, that's that's a total joke, personally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and we have talked about that 
Of course, there's always a giant caveat. It's also like the season draws heavily. So I suppose also just with the added financial strain, it's not like uh, a bad situation for teams to just get more exposure and have more of an argument towards their sponsors and whatnot. Um, Again, to I mean, I think I'm flipping my script a lot um, when it comes to this argument in particular, because I've been in defense of like, OK, Corona's been weird. Hero pools has been weird. We've been trying to figure out what this is supposed to be all season long. I think it's fair to have all these people in. I didn't expect this patch at the end of the season to eliminate a role that we've kind of like banked on for the entire season teams have built for. So at this point, yeah, maybe it is probably beneficial to kind of eliminate and have some sort of cutoff so that you don't have a Boston, a Washington, just make this crazy run decays on Washington. Now, like I, I can't imagine that that's going to be the case where he just adds some sort of like crazy firepower and you put him on hog and he goes crazy and wins justice, a seed to go to Korea. Like, you, we, I, as much as the community might like think that's a cool idea, that draws into question the entire season. It's like, what, what were we all doing? What were you guys doing getting first? Like, why was that even beneficial for you? If, if there's going to be a patch that drops, Hog gets put in over main tanks, and now Look, Boston, I, like you said, is I, the best. I'm, that's the problem. Like, apparently, it doesn't, like, nobody really talks about this unless just like, ish hits the fan or something and actually, we have yeah. we have a terrible situation like maybe like this is this is exactly the the season where i'm like just let vancouver win it all like that's that's a, <laughs> it's like Can you imagine no. there's already a gigantic roster there's just already a gigantic caveat on the season and maybe this will purge all this dumb stuff from the system where everyone's just like okay Next next like, year, this is going to be ironclad, like just like maybe we're running full Premier League format or whatever it is. But like, hell um, yeah, <laughs> like. But, yeah. but just imagine, okay, you're like, say your gladiators, or I'm looking at the seeding as like fuel and mm. defiant, right? So you're in a situation where you're like nine or eight wins, you're close to fifty percent win record, and you you're like you're going to finish eighth overall, right? Which is maybe where the cutoff would be normally. Mm. And all of a sudden, this massive patch hits, and you only have two tanks because hey, there's no way they're going to eliminate main tank from the game, right? All of a sudden, this patch hits, and Washington, who've somehow been in, able to pick up decay, which again, yeah. I don't think that makes any sense um and then boston imagine boston are unbelievable at this matter because imagine they had a second tank and that was just one random oversight and they had two tanks and all of a sudden they have this hog legend comes in and mm -hmm. does stuff for them how sad would you feel if you finished like six seven wins above a team you were better than them for the whole season this patch hit happens they're given this like charity lifeline at the bottom they win a few games and you don't make top eight and you you finish the, the season yep. below them like to me, I, I I wouldn't like that very much, you know. Uh, honestly, I think and we kind I, of we almost had that last season with Washington. You know, yes. if if we were to be in like a similar kind of way, where you know something happened to kind of draw into question, you know, who gets seated where, you know, there's there's some excuses made. Maybe the bracket gets opened up a little bit more, and Washington gets to play. Maybe there's a bunch of string of up or a string of upsets where they go on at with roll lock and be able to beat these teams who have kind of had to qualify through goats as much as blizzard tried to remove it and kind of kill it it still kind of persisted and then they get to kind of swoop in and and kind of vulture it up and and pick the scraps like it's that's it's rough that's the worst part and it's it's like this is not as an overwatch specific 
problem no, because, exactly. like, um, for instance, in League of Legends, they also famously do the, the uh, world's patch, and yeah. it's trash. It's so bad. Like, why would you go through two splits? Like, I don't know. It's like, I think it's six months of active play or more. Mm -hmm. In order to figure out who's good on a specific uh, patch range that usually is pretty similar to each other. And the meta is still mm -hmm. constant. And then Worlds runs around and suddenly, like, you can't Very actually different. see... And this is not a historical argument, but like you couldn't, uh, if you had not been able to see Insect on Lee Sin or Madlife sure. on Thresh, because sure. these were just left, left to the ground. Now the Overwatch equivalent being, if I play, if I play Goats the entire season, do I really care, uh, like who has a nuts Doomfist uh, in the in the playoffs, right? And that's that's always been like. The filter being different from the decider is an absolute trash feature of esports. And that's also the mm -hmm. problem with playoff formats as a whole. If you actually want, like, the problem is here's, here's this current. The current is we have viewers that cannot stand watching our games without novelty. Okay? We have to accept this. We're not going to change a million people's behavior. Based on that. Okay, so we got to live with that, like, uh, truth of nature, if you want. And then mm. you have your system that you got to build around it. Well, let's not work at all with the novelty aspect of it and, like, make it all, like, weird. And, like, but let's try to do two things at once because that's kind of the sports system and it kind of works in other esports even though that is not at all like applied to the games that we're playing and it's just like it's it's like this homunculus that, that's barely breathing at this point where we're Kill just me. like well I guess the London Spitfire were the best team in season one yeah yeah that's <laughs> Dude, like, and New York is just like, okay, I guess, dude, like, mm, I don't know. Like, I don't, it's, it's, it's not satisfying. No, not in the slightest. There's still, technically, it's obviously unlikely, but there, there's still, maybe it's like, it requires five or six games to go in a certain way, but there is still a way in which Boston finishes ahead of us this season. Yep. Yeah. And in the yeah. big... The big thing that actually, I mean, of course, regular season counts for something like you guys do get like a, a a stamp of approval of some sort, but it's not what everybody's playing for. Everybody's playing for the trophy. Everybody wants yeah. that ring. All we have to do is lose our first two games, which, yep. hey, stranger things have happened. Sure. Boston then need to win, what, three games maybe or four games. And then Boston finished above us and maybe Boston had a better season than us, you know? Yep. That's that's what we're, is remembered in the history books. You know who yeah. does well in playoffs. Nobody really gives yeah. jack about you know the regular consistent nope. team in the regular season. No, nope. they really. Everybody don't. wants to know who's the best uh, hog and ball torture. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's I guess what we're getting until we figure this stuff out. But yeah, well, what can you do? Like it, it is a hard system to create or a hard situation to create systems around because you kind of want the game 100%. to change. And you also kind of want uh, to display a variety and ask a variety of teams. Like maybe that that flexibility should just be worked into 
the playoff format in some way. Yeah. I don't know how you would do that. Probably like a more round-robin play. Playoffs. Why not just take what Chris is Chris has been talking about? And correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm you know attributing the wrong you know author here, but Chris for himself has talked about doing monthly hero pools. Combine that with the monthly tournament format. You have that novelty all season long, and then you test the best team on the patch that's been played in playoffs. And that's that's what's you know the final final act of the series or the the story, right? Like I don't know. I think you can have both, but this like the it has to slow down as the big games start to happen as like what everybody's been practicing for and playing for all season long yeah. the, the filter needs to be decided by that point so teams can so the fans can properly adjust and say okay this is where i think of these teams this is what i should expect you know maybe we'll see some unexpected results due to you know a nice break or some added practice that's great but i don't think anybody over the course of yeah you know a couple years really wants just March madness every year. And it's consistent. Like nobody wants just Boston winning a couple events, even though they've been trashed the entire season or justice. I don't mean to, you know, bag on these, these teams in particular, but they're just using them as an example because of how poorly they've done in the regular season. Like, yeah, you have to have some storylines. There but, has to be some sort of consistency. And I think that there is a very, not a very obvious, but there is like a clear way to start building that for the future that I hope happens. Yeah. From this season, I don't know. Here, here's, a, here's, for instance, an idea, right? You make it monthly hero pools. You have uh, four mm -hmm. heroes that are being banned. And okay. then you go into playoffs and you make it long. So you only limit the, the regular season to five, ba uh, to five months. And mm -hmm. then at the end of it, you kind of keep those hero pools in mind. And then, for instance, let's say the grand finals. I'm not sure how that would work in the in the uh, run up to that. Have it sure. like the NBA finals, but every best of five, so it would be a best of five of best of fives, would be a different meta, a different hero pool that we have already played throughout these five finals. I'm not saying that's a great solution. I'm saying we are now applying the filtering mm. methods that we had through the season in sure. the final situation. Now, of yeah. course, it would be underwhelming if we clearly saw it there isn't a meta that existed throughout uh those five months where that particular mm -hmm. team wasn't absolutely dominant and there's no coming back after the first yeah. or two series but like that is at least a system that would take these perf relative performances throughout the season in mind mm -hmm. now how that would work with patches that also of course significantly changed the game is another question but yeah, like at the end of the day, you kind of come up with a with a playoff format that is sort of synchronized towards the the nature of the regular season. Yeah, and if you don't, then this will always have like huge volatility in the outcomes that you could potentially see. Less than mm -hmm. I initially predicted, because like teams like you guys and Shock actually are pretty. Uh, consistent throughout many different metas to a degree I didn't foresee that happening and I thought it's also maybe to a degree that the um, like the tier 1.5 teams um, maybe weren't as good as I thought they'd be uh, I, I like initially in the conception of the season like I saw you guys like even if someone told me okay we're doing NA and uh, Asia teams I'm like mm. okay that's okay like Fusion is a super team, Shock is a super team, 
or whatever definition you want to uh, choose there. And then Atlanta looks good. Gladiators kind of looks good. Like that, that those 1.5 teams would have at least like been able to punch up significantly based on the meta that has been happening. And that this season, with the exception maybe of Paris and uh, Fusion, uh, sorry, in the Fusion uh, Florida, hasn't happened uh, with any consistency or pattern. Um, so where the the tier one teams are always still able to sort of punch past other than the the was it summer showdown that paris won so um yeah it's a um it's a weird system and I'm, i mean we're not even sure if we're just hopefully entering the last week of hero pools that would for me be the ideal solution we don't know what next year will look like but if you're going forward with that um type of deal then there gotta be some twist where the nature of the regular season play finds itself in the playoff format in some shape or form or like i wouldn't even mind just not having playoffs or and ha therefore having like maybe making these cups or like maybe it's not playoffs maybe it's a ti type of format or i i don't know like even that is pretty bad like i, I don't know it's it's really hard you would probably have to sit down to come up with an elaborate thing, but it's it is about having the nature of the regular season maintained throughout uh, the later stages of the tournament. Right. Um. Anything else? Did Did we have any last? Qu oh yeah, there's one. Ha. Huh. Okay. We kind of had like you just drop in briefly on your walk last. Um. <laughs> last time yeah um have you okay i'm not going to ask you to just uh, i mean we, we can do the advertisements for your players uh after uh, as like sort of like a goodbye but um have you thought about like who your picks would be if if you couldn't play pick your because uh, votes are coming up i assume i don't know if if you if anyone will ask you but um who would you say yeah actually do uh, I don't know. MVP is a pretty tough one. Like I said, I think on my walk, I think Sh Shock's candidates are who it's Violet and Choi, right? Mm -hmm. So I think they've both been pretty good. I mean, obviously, they've both been really good. And then obviously, the Shanghai guys have been insane too. Um, I don't know. It's really hard to argue. I think uh, I think it's a really tough one this season, actually. Let me, let me ask um, maybe a more interesting question. Would you have nominated XCI or XE uh, if you had to pick a Paris player? Maybe. Most people would say Hambin, right? I think that was your guys' mm -hmm. argument on the yes. show. Yes. You know, what, you know what's interesting is I think that, you know how in football, whenever there's like the end of season awards, it's always like a striker or an attacker normally that gets yeah. it. And defenders mm -hmm, and goalkeepers yeah. are always left out. It's interesting that this... Overwatch League has like a similar concept, right? Where like DPS players normally get heavily favored and there's like yeah. no main tanks and no main supports. But one thing I thought interesting is I think on good teams, if you're a Sigma player, I think you end up looking really good. Like, yeah. okay, Hanbin has been really good. It's unquestionable. Yeah. I think mm. he's, he's really good. But I also think that when you look at Florida, okay, Gargoyle is insane. Like yeah. every single one of these teams, it's almost like their Sigma ends up Wrong. looking really good. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, and Void too, right? A lot of off tanks, and I think all, almost all of them got in based off like how good their Sigma's been, maybe with the exception of Void. Mm. Um, 
I think it has so something to do with the frequency they show up in the kill feed. That's my yeah. Oh, theory. I think yeah. That's why flex think... supports there. What was there? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Was. And what's and what's interesting is that uh, when it comes to like praise and criticism, certain roles, it's like so obviously unfair. You know, like main tank. If every single team that's doing bad, I always see threads about how the main tank's the problem is just feeling, mm. you know? And I always think back to Sado threads last year, and we had it every single time, you know? Oh. And then uh, it's main tank's such a horrible role to play, you know? When you're good, no one ever com compliments you and says you're MVP level. But when you are bad, everybody notices it, you know? Yeah. And I guess, like, maybe off tank this season has been the opposite way, where if you're, like, good, it's easy to look good. And if you're bad, it's not easy to, like, to be like obviously exploited so there's definitely something about the way the game is which makes it very difficult to see who's like true mvps and certain roles mm -hmm. end up getting like favored more than others it's just like something interesting that i noticed um i mean it also depends if it's like it's a problem like a lot of people are saying oh you have to have in support some main tanks in there you know but mm. yeah it, it's possible that's not the case i would have loved to see sado get in there for sure because i think that he's yeah even if there's now, ever even now, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. Yeah. I think, really. I think against Shock, he was insane. Like, he was, like, mm -hmm. really insane. So. I think we both had him as uh, uh, Rollstar, right, Joe? Yep. 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 Yeah. I, it's hard not to. I, I think he's had a, a truly impressive season. If there were, And if there was ever going to be a rule on in terms of, like, representation when it comes to, like, MVP voting, I think it would be good to at least have some representation across all roles rather than like specific teams. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, if there is going to be like a star main tank, they should be on the ballot. Like yeah. you need to give them some sort of recognition, even if it is just a resume point of nominee. Like that, that means something to not only the person, but like to future teams, future scouts, you know, I agree, employers yeah. maybe. I, I think that that would be where if we were going to draw a line, that's where I would want it. Yeah, yeah I think Shadow probably should be is more interesting than MVP. I think that's like yeah, it's an interesting. Yeska one. Yeska seems to think that it should be the coaching staff because yeah. it's very difficult to tell that you know from from a media maybe even like a talent standpoint of like what what really the coaches are doing inside the the dugouts. Is that I mean, uh, where do you kind of stand on that? I mean, it, it makes sense, but I'm sure if KDG wins it, he's gonna like dedicate it to the coaching sure. staff. Like, mm. it's just he's just the the face for it. Like, mm. and and obviously, like in most situations, I was included. The head coach does do the most, you know. Mm. If, if we had a coach of the year award, it's gonna go to KDG. Um, but yeah, like coaching staff, yeah, on paper, it's more fair. I agree. Um, but I also not sure how many assistant coaches are gonna be like mad that their head coach won it, and it doesn't give them the sure. credit for it, you know. It's I'm, nice just to have a name for it, you know? Yeah. And it was, yeah. Do you have any sense of who is doing what in other teams? Even you on the inside? If I'm friends with them, yeah. Okay. If, I, if I'm not friends with them, almost certainly not. So, you, mm. you, for instance, if I ask you who does what in Shanghai, you wouldn't have any idea? Zero clue. Zero yeah. clue. So, how is that someone supposed to make a nomination based on like the coach right it's always going yeah, to be yeah. the head coach and it's going to be like basically symbolic for the coaching staff uh, yeah so. yes, it might so as well too. just be i agree yeah like you've made some strong points is there any like awards that you wish kind of were introduced or maybe tweaked or changed any kind of opinions there did they do most improved did the league do that properly or no that's nope. just like something no nope. maybe that's interesting mm-hmm and then all of the most improved players are tanks, you know? 
because they're always mm. the ones that got shit on last year and now, yeah. like, oh, look and now they're actually yeah. doing good yeah because all of a sudden their team is playing better mm. yeah. um yeah most improved uh, apart from that i think that like roll stars mvp rookie coach yeah that's fine yeah fair did, enough did you feel like at parts in the season i'm not sure if that's still the case it felt like people use the rookie award to make it easier to discuss the mvp so it's like okay if you're now a rookie we, you go into that category yes exactly it's yeah, like yeah. okay now we don't have to consider carpe and we don't have to consider void and fleta because they are not part of that so we can like the burden like we just cut everything in half and now we can like sort of without pen and paper come up with a solution who the um rookie of the year should be now it's interesting like i don't think we have any information on the on this like on the ballot yeah yeah i don't think that that's been put out yet i can assume there is going to be a few names uh probably one in particular coming from the fusion but uh mm. yeah nothing nothing public yet yeah i mean in my mind like for instance if alarm is mvp of the season he's automatically rookie of the season there's no logical exactly. way where that doesn't yeah, happen it, Unless there's some, some sort of, you know, rule that uh, bars them from being both. Which I would hate, but yeah, again, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. And I think to a degree then, like, if we as agree that we have all these biases in place with, like, opacity of uh, performance on certain roles, then I think role stars is actually really one to look forward to. It's, it has sure. sort of, like, cool... Like also symbolism in the game with the like the yeah I like the that badges that mm. that's amazing. I, I would like I would love if they even go went further. Like maybe you when you release a new map, there's like a trophy case and like each player of the roles mm -hmm. has a trophy re representing them or some something like this. Um, or tie-ins would be cool. But um, yeah, like to that degree, like for instance, okay, let's let's ask this. Who would be your main support rollster if you couldn't pick your player? Hmm. And That's I'm, a good question. Sometimes it's hard to come up with names, so the obvious, uh, the obvious picks would be like FD God, DJ Gone. Um, see, I already struggle. Uh, yeah, but it's also interesting that like main main support is like Funny Astro. But, oh, no, yeah, it's been it's been, been, it's been benched a little bit this season as well mm -hmm. you know like a lot of the good teams didn't even play a main support so yeah. like is there any reason like obviously no one's gonna vote but is there a reason boombox can't be like sure. main support of the season or like maybe even alarm because he was the one that played the break which was the main support mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. the best the best main support <laughs> this season has been alarm when he played it you know um yeah, yeah. So, so maybe it's fine to have like two tanks and two supports and two dps like maybe you don't have to Especially when there's so okay. much variety back sure. and forth that like you you're mm -hmm. okay to give two, two sure two supports. I think that's probably fair. The problem then being that it would go just go to flex supports mostly, right? Like yeah, that's probably. sadly the yeah. the way this uh, cookie crumbles. But yeah, okay. I think like the the one overarching question that I had in the waiting of the all the awards we did, uh, Joe, mm. is okay. In my mind, it's like. This has been a season where you had to be so flexible in order to always play, right? Mm -hmm. 
and yeah. that weights highly. Like Sado played hundred percent of your matches. Um, yeah, that's important. Like Void played ninety five percent of the matches. Um, mm. Same for Lee Jagon. Um, do you think that's like a really really significant weight onto the consideration of who should be rookie, or is it therefore like for instance? This is this is my problem with the X XE nomination, where it's like I don't think he even qualifies for rookie of the season based on his play yeah. rate. Yeah, um, but he's now an MVP candidate, right? Right. I it play time isn't as important, but I think like the variety of heroes they've played should be weighted like extremely highly, right? Mm. Like obviously, like we said about the Sigmas, like you could have a hundred percent play rate as a as an off tank, and you've probably only played like, especially if you're like uh, part of the Asia region where they were playing double shield while we were still playing rank comps, you could have mm. absolutely had like a ninety percent play rate in Sigma this entire season very mm. easily. Mm. The only weeks he didn't play is when he was banned. Mm. So, like, why if you, if your hero's been met at the whole year, like, does that count for more than someone whose hero was only met for fifty percent of the year? You know, and that's mm. why I think someone like Carpe should. And Alarm, both of them for sure, should like get a lot of credit, you know? Like think about the heroes Alarm's played this season. He's he's played BAP extremely well, Brig, Anna, and Zen. And or every single one of them he's been world class, right? Carpe the same, like on every single hero he's played this season. He started in McCree. He's obviously played a lot of Widow, then he's went on to Ash. So he's across this the season, he's had to play like a lot of different heroes and looked good on all of them. That's why Sada's the best main tank, in my opinion, because he's the only main tank in the league who has actually played Orissa, Winston, and Ryan and been elite on all three across the season. Yep. Like obviously Fearless and Smurf would be really good when they've played, but they've never had to cover the full spectrum like like yep. Sado did. Yep, they've been something. Um and I think that that to me, like if if you're a player and you've shown to be elite on not just your hero, but then other heroes across every single meta where you've been irreplaceable by your team, that counts counts a lot for me. Which then adds some sort of bias to the rules where there wasn't flexibility across the season, okay. like off tank, you know. So it's it's never going to be perfect. But to me, that's like a really significant factor. If you if you're always going to play no matter the meta, that obviously indicates like you're very valuable, you know. Which I think the mm. MVP somewhere it's in the name, you know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I just looked it up. So, for instance, someone like Void um, had like 21 hours of playtime, half of which was Sigma. Uh, mm. Diva comes in at six hours. Uh, Zarya comes in at four hours. So, um, yeah. So yeah. that's enough of a spectrum for me to say that he absolutely deserves like MVP nomination and and should be up there. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I mean, Shanghai from if memory serves right always had like i don't think they are the archetypical pick team uh rather than which team was it i think it might have been guangzhou that just stuck to uh, had more meta adherence week to week than yeah it felt like yeah, yeah absolutely right shanghai definitely like plays similarly to us and shock where they play the matchup rather than just like play a comp and they're, they're happy to adapt and change depending on what's working or what it's not yep. working. I think that's been one of the absolute like best things to see about this season. And mm. then that's that's something that I think you guys, when you like make coaching decisions, you should wait heavily. Is how many coaches actually for the first time in the league actually made like Roster game management decisions, like yep. stuff like what KDG did against Gladiator, is where we just decided to like sub people out and put in others and and play like a comp which we'd never scrimmed before because he realized it wasn't working, and then on the fly had to come up with like a basic system of how to play the comp and how we should communicate and how we should play. To me, that's an unbelievable thing for a coach. Yeah, I didn't even think that was a possibility. Uh, 
yeah. for the vast majority of seasons, and other coaches also told me that it isn't. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's possible, especially in goats. Maybe that's what's been good about this season. But I also think ninety percent of the coaches in the league couldn't do what he did there, and mm. they would just keep playing the comp, and they would just lose O three. And I think that like you sh you should understand that when we played against Shock in that final, they were in a similar boat where they had almost not scrimmed that comp at all. But Krusty understood the game and realized that they, they couldn't win against our dive comp on other comps, so he thought their best chance was to play this comp. And then both coaches were just making adaptations as the series went on, and then like it ended how it ended. Um, and I think that's something that like I, I definitely see it with Shanghai. I remember the first reverse sweep they did was there was a, a very noticeable change that like there was no way that Shanghai was defending with dive on Junkertown and scrims. I think that's literally impossible. But they realized how the series was going against Seoul and they changed it. And then that's an insane like coaching decision to make that maybe Seoul didn't make, you know? And then you can see like the teams that have like the the not they don't have that same like level of game management to where mm. like against us gladiators, you know, like all of a sudden their comps just went crazy, you know? Like sometimes they decided to mirror because they didn't know what they were doing. So they, like they tried all sorts because they were just like they couldn't figure out what to do. And I think that's to me that's that's what's extremely valuable about like the, the elite team's coaches is their ability to adapt mid-series and get wins. Mm. Okay, I'm, I'm mindful of the time, so in, in order to give a little bit of time towards the campaign of your players for the MVP vote, um, and also, wink wink, we have a dedicated viewer base that not only will be degenerative enough to hardcore vote for uh, your respective um, like candidates. We also have some programmers, and apparently that's very effective in voting in the Overwatch League. So, Bots are my like, favorite people. <laughs> wink, wink to the other coaches. Like, If you want to advertise on this space, like be our guest, slide in the uh, DMs, um, and we can make that happen for next week. But um, why... Let's start with Alarm. Why should Alarm be the people's MVP pick this season? Well, I think Alarm is like probably been the player that has been able... It, of any flex support in the league has placed the most heroes to a high level of that. I'm confident this year because I think no other flex support played Brig, Anna, Zen, and Bath. And he looks elite on all of them. I said it, we did a little, little hype video on, on our YouTube channel, which you go check out. But I, I've said it before that I think Alarm is the most talented player I've ever seen play the game. Um, on a truly like natural level, like I think he he understands it in a way that it's so easy for him. Um, to me, he he is like the Messi of Overwatch. If you if you wanted to make a comparison, which is obviously maybe too high praise for where he is at his mm. career, but I think that obviously his attitude and stuff is really really good. But like I said in the interview I did with you, Joe, that he's someone who could have got exactly where he is now by being a really bad teammate because he's that talented and the fact that he's a nice guy and he and he works really hard is pretty impressive um yeah i i think that he's the best flex support in the world i think he's definitely um like i said the most talented player i've ever worked with um i think he's a good vote okay and then the floor is yours to make the case for carpe well, it's not like Carpe lacks talent, but I think that I go the other direction with him. I think for him, he's someone who's like, whose attitude and like drive is put him in the 
position that he is in terms of like ahead of the pack. I think he's he's maybe closer to Ronaldo, if I can make that praise too, where he's always um he puts in like a ridiculous amount of hours. I've never really seen people who like I've never I've never met anyone who hates losing as much as Carpe and I've never met someone who wants to win as much as Carpe, which I think is is um a pretty important things to have in a professional player. Um I mean he he's hero pool for a hit scan is extremely wide compared to most. I think that like he's not like a true he's he's more flexible than that. I think he can play a lot of heroes. Um what I always say about DPS players is that the like maybe each role in Overwatch has 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 a job in how they win you matches. Um and the DPS's role is to find a way to uh to to win you fights which shouldn't be won based on like the positioning of the ults. I think there's no player in the league who wins us fights we shouldn't win more than Carpe. Um there's been a, almost every series there's one map where you look at it and you say, ah oh, well Carpe won us that map just alone. Like I, there's millions of examples and there's millions of times where it's a close match and Carpe is the one that makes a difference in that in that fight. Um and I think if you understand Overwatch and how many times that Carpe is able to make exceptional players on a regular basis, then I think he's also like a, a pretty easy vote for anyone. Sweet. I mean, we agree. I think uh, I had Carpe as Rollstar and uh, Alarm as uh, MVP choice. Um, yeah, it's a uh, like I like I I was fortunate enough to met meet Alarm at uh, the Atlantic Showdown in um, in Krefeld, and there's the way. He carries himself, and I don't even, like, I, I, of course, don't speak a word of his language, but just, like, um, that left a, a lasting impression on me, what kind of a professional he is, and I was just like, okay, this kid is just going to explode. Like, like I just wrote an article this, this um, week about uh, Scheinriesen, which is a German word for basically, like, uh, um like a thought experiment of someone that is gigantic in the distance, but the further they, or the closer they come, the smaller they become. And the, the, uh, the analogy being like, for instance, someone like a Hua Yu looked ginormous in Apex Season 2, but then arrived and now looks very mortal. I, like, after just seeing how Alarm works at the Atlantic Showdown, I was convinced that was not going to happen to him. Um, just like uh, a way to behave towards the t his teammates, the way he, like even though, okay, this is going to be super pseudo, but like the way he takes care of his gear, like it's like an instrument, right? Um, then just like how he talked to the coaches there or communicated with them, um, with fellow teammates, that was just an inside way I knew, okay, this is this is going to, just like explode in the Overwatch League as well, like they're not going to miss a beat. And of course, at the time, we already knew what he was capable of from Fusion Uni, just like a disgustingly uh, clutch player, like <laughs> keeping that win record uh, almost single-handedly in some of those matches. And then, yeah, seriously, like unreal clutch potential. And then, uh, yeah, I, I'm happy that this manifested also this. Uh, even though I really didn't have any doubts towards that, so uh, yeah, the... I said it. I said it in the hype video, but I, I do think by the time the league and the game is dead, that Alarm will have been the best player that's ever played it. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's, I think he's up there. I I hope 
that the support role holds up and remains like at least the flex support role and once again we we talked about the fluidity of that roles but i i hope it remains um very apparent to people when when people are doing well uh, in season 1 of course that was the case um like if we're having a mercy L lucio meta um Maybe the Lucio can set themselves apart. Of course, of, even though I will say, like some some of the Mercy players are also. But you get the idea, right? Like if you don't show up in the um, the kill feed, then it's not going to be a memorable experience um, that just like stacks upon itself. And I really hope that the game Overwatch lends itself to just be uh, something where Alarm has all the opportunity to go for the goat. Um, uh, goat um, trophy. The, the discussion is pretty wide open still in Overwatch, mm. um, and of course we're also a very young scene. But it's also great that Alarm has a pre pre Overwatch history, a uh, pre Overwatch League history. Uh, uh, I mean, so um, yeah, like maybe in like three years' time we're going to crack open this time capsule. Look at what you said about Alarm now, and then uh, remember that moment fondly, uh, if that actually, that potential actualized. Um, and yeah, um, I think we're about time. Uh, shoutouts, Chris. Anything you want your fans to know for like the playoffs coming up, um, the expectations, anything you're looking forward to, any, any, this, the floor is yours. No, just just the same as always. Thank you for supporting us so far. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you've enjoyed the season as a whole, and uh, we're going to keep working hard. Let you don't have to worry about that. And then, I think I said last time I was here that hopefully we'll win the next tournament, which we didn't, but hopefully we'll uh, we'll get the win when it really counts. You know. Yep. Very good. Joe, what do you have coming up this week? Um. Coming out soon-ish, hopefully, on GG Recon, I get to uh, be paid for complaining about the Valorant tournament structure and why that needs to be mandated at some point and has some sort of structure if we're going to ever see this game kind of take off into major international lands and whatnot in the future. Obviously, COVID, uh, you know, gracing us with that. Mm. Um, and then today, we're going we're gonna to look at C9's Valorant roster and uh, take a look at 10's. And... Uh, how cracked this boy really is. So yeah, stay tuned. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, for me, it's like more like a um, of the day business. Um, I'm working on like a bigger feature uh, that's coming out on a player um, that has been long time coming. I think I need one more interview and I hope I can go high effort on on that piece when it eventually mm -hmm. comes. It's an Overwatch player. Um, so that's something I'm working on. But Nothing really I can, I can talk about right now. Um, mm. Now, of course, the nature of this Scuff podcast is that nobody, like, kept track <laughs> of subs or, like, you know, the, the, the usual shebang that we do. So do you just want to thank the, the Patreons and then we, uh, we get out of here? Sure. Let me just pull that up right quick. Um, but for those of you who did sub and donate that we may have uh, missed, thank you very, very much. You're not ignored. You are uh, very much appreciated and, and loved. So uh, Hoagies, I believe, jumped in with a uh, with a sub. So thank you very much. 
And thank you to our uh, patron producers. Uh, Battle Crab Pin, Lotion Charlie, Audio Compass, Pork Shop Sammy, Kasha 67, Kuchi Kopi, Chara, Nathan, Your Misery, Hunter Tain, Refined Bean, Rex Sane, Roger B, Fable Steven, Owen, Chris R34444, Yiska is holding me hostage. Please send help. I'm under Yiska's desk. Please send help. Yiska says, Fish or Fish or Fish or Fish or Fish. And the additional sub or patron that uh, we did not get their name. Thank you to all of you who uh, support the show. Thank you very much. Uh, with that, we are out. I think this time we can save it. I've been recording the episode the entire time, so I didn't want so to lose be live. the wisdom that uh, Christopher is so kindly sharing with us. So this should be uh, working. Otherwise, we can just export, hopefully, onto YouTube. Um, I Otherwise, if, if everything goes badly, then thank you for the 90 live viewers that we had today. Uh, <laughs> you will be kept in on the secret secrets that you've learned so far otherwise uh we're out and as john always says bye